The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by someone. I mean, actually, I think I had the link pulled up somewhere here last time we talked that I haven't spoken with at least audibly for the last over two years. Got over two years. Two um, years I, yeah, yeah I, I don't even remember how we became acquainted. I'm sure we just noticed each other on Twitter or something, but you know. The reason you were on before, it was actually, as it turns out, one of the most popular Broken Silicon episodes. It was a, hey, look, can we be honest? Can we just sit down? Can we cut through the BS and the hype and just talk about what's even reasonable to expect from the next-gen consoles? And, like, there was so many buzzwords about SSDs back then in both, not just the Sony, but the Microsoft camp as well, that I, I guess I'm not surprised why it was so popular considering the word cloud of buzzwords that were swirling from fanboys at the time yeah at the time there was a lot of uh some people were saying the ssd would like actually improve graphical performance like make the gpu faster which was crazy um but there was a lot of people also saying like oh an ssd it makes your load times less but it's actually a lot more than that so i kind of wanted to at that point it was a lot about talking about what the benefits really were because to some people it was a lot better than what they thought and for some it was like okay no it's not literally going to improve your gpu performance well i mean i think there's like of course circumstances where it can to a certain degree but it seemed like everyone thought that the ps5's io controllers and ssd setup would either do nothing but load times that were slightly faster yeah. or it was going to double frame rates and neither of those yeah, are yeah, true yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, you had the Xbox Velocity architecture, <laughs> which I was like, oh, my God, if I keep seeing Velocity quoted on Twitter, I'm going to go insane. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see where where Velocity has gone since then. They've kind of stopped talking about Velocity. Now it's mainly just uh, direct storage API, but um, it's finally coming to PC. So now games may, might actually start using it. I think starting with uh, uh, Forspoken here in January now, it's coming out. But. Yes, I believe I heard that as well. You know what's interesting about the whole direct storage thing is not only how long that's taken to come out, but I remember that being a hyped up thing. NVIDIA's version of it, RTX IO at the Ampere reveal. And if we're being honest, I think we, ha yeah, I think if we're being honest, we have to say NVIDIA kind of seems to have added that last minute to make it look like it had feature parity with the consoles which isn't to say that they don't it's just we haven't really seen rtx io like at all basically so i think the reason that i actually recently looked into this because i was like 
where the hell is RTXIO? Like, why haven't we heard about it since? And it turns out that RTXIO is not a competitor or or an alternative to direct storage. Mm-hmm. It's intended to work with direct storage. What RTXIO is, um, it, it's actually just the decompression hardware. Mm-hmm. So without direct storage, it's useless because direct storage is a change in the IO pipeline that allows, um, basically it allows the GPU to load data directly from the SSD in, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, but RTXIO is the decompression that can accelerate that. Using um, decom- tensor cores, right? I'm assuming, right? Like just about everything. I, video I don't think, it might be tensor core based. I know it's hardware based. I don't know what mm-hmm. hardware it, it's using. Um, but it, it's sort of like how um, BC Pack, for example, on the Xbox Series X and S is is a decompression. Um, and same with the PS5 has that uh, Kraken decompression. It's just RTXIO is. NVIDIA's decompression. And um, AMD Radeon has uh, an equivalent as well. But uh, so, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Before I get into the first discuss- discussion subjects, I'm, who are you? Tell people where they can find you. you like, who is Meyer TechRance? <laughs> so I am one of those armchair CEOs on the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot um, of those. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just a guy on Twitter. Um, I have a degree in computer science. I've done some um, small scale, like like indie game development projects, like in university. Nothing big. Um, I know I've worked with a few game engines. I've had you know classes and stuff in business, so I'm reasonably well educated. But I'm I'm not like a big scale game developer or anything like that. <laughs> I'm just I'm just like a guy on the internet that kind of knows what he's talking about sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, but like I, the the reason I started or the reason I have guests on Broken Silicon in the first place is just let's get someone in here every other week who is at least well versed in this more so. And I would say, you know, even though you sell yourself short, you're much more well-informed than the average commenter on WCCF tech, you know, just to bounce ideas back and forth, because unless you bring in outside voices, you just get stuck in a bubble of your own thoughts and you don't really get any new opinions ever. And that's why I really appreciate, like, I'm not, I've caught an upcoming guest coming who's probably going to be, so like an anonymous Intel engineer, which should be interesting to get some real perspective on what it's like to work within Intel and like what he thinks of. And a lot of it I do want to talk about is like, what do you think about like just the, the fanboys and like as someone who actually works on these chips, you know, what do you <laughs> think about how people talk about Intel and AMD? And then I've got a, like, you know, a couple of tech tubers and stuff, but I don't, there's not like a giant Intel release this week. There's not like a bunch of news this week per se. Um, and so I kind of just wanted to, have a more bird's eye view, casual discussion about everything. And that's why I've had you on. And I think we're, the best place to start is I'm going to try doing this. I'm going to change the color here um, is with a reader mail from Gwen Farron. Gwen Farron says on a scale of fine to two week old Taco Bell leftovers. How much do you think NVIDIA is crapping their pants right now with the glut of GPUs on the market? With the recent news, or I guess 
the opposite of a glut. With the recent news of attempts to cancel orders and AIB's demanding delays, I can't imagine it's a fun time in the NVIDIA boardroom right now. And that is where I want to start, is just kind of talking about the GPU crash. It's what I've been talking about in a lot of recent content. But really, you know... I, 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 well, I guess let's start with what he said in the reader mail. Like, how do you think NVIDIA is thinking right now about all of this? I think NVIDIA isn't nearly as worried as a lot of the AIBs and distributors are. Um, I mean, a, a lot of the cards, I think, sitting around in warehouses are AIBs and distributors that, as far as NVIDIA is concerned, they've already sold that stuff. Mm. Um, but... I mean, they are NVIDIA's partners, so NVIDIA doesn't want to piss them off. Like, they, they want to have a good working relationship. Um, but on the same token, I feel like it's not NVIDIA's fault that these guys um, over-ordered and then overcharged to their consumers and then couldn't move their product and kind of put themselves in, in a position. Well, that's an interesting point, right? Because this has been... I feel like more people than, of course, two years ago are finally getting this when I look around in discussions online. But like AMD and NVIDIA don't really make extra money during these price hikes. It's the AIBs that do, you know, yeah. so NVIDIA and AMD, they just want market share. I mean, and that's why when people are like, mm -hmm. why is AMD sell things from their website? It's like they make probably a higher percentage on the, the reference cards they're selling than yeah. the AIB models. They don't care. You know, they, they just want to get cards out there. It's the AIBs that, I mean, I, I can't say too much, but I've heard examples of like some distributors buying from AIBs and hearing some really interesting break even price points where like, you know, someone at one of the AIBs was trying to convince the distributor that if they sell, what was it? It was like a 7,800 XT, a 6,800 XT, below $1,000, they're losing money. And I'm like, I just don't believe that AIB. I know they're trying yeah. to convince you, and I'm sure they have. As someone who worked in sales for in the automotive industry, there were times where we'd find ways to say we broke even at higher prices when we needed to, but I, I, I don't think so. It's the AIBs that kind of made this bed for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some truth in that to some extent. Like, it's not always the fault of the AIBs uh, particularly with NVIDIA, we knew um, early on, at least what I was hearing was it was pretty difficult. The AM, or NVIDIA made it quite difficult for those AIBs to hit MSRPs. Mm -hmm. um, early on, they did, yeah, yeah, which is why they had all the funny business. And, that, and that's what's so weird is when we talk about this, it's, it can be confusing to a listener who's not like doing this as their job like me because no, but yeah. early on, NVIDIA was actually selling some of the founders cards not the 3070 i think that always had a decent markup but like the 3080s were specifically the 3080 was not making much margin on a founders card compared to what they would usually want to make yeah. and then they were pushing it to the aibs and that's why you saw all those 800 cards at launch but then shortages happened ram prices exploded and prices did actually kind of need to go up for them to break even but not to 1200 yeah yeah for sure yeah, so in terms of the situation right now, I mean, it's been almost two years, over a year and a half. You know, the prices of a lot of things have gone down. Um, I I don't think it's unreasonable for uh, the AIBs, unless NVIDIA increased their prices on them, which I suppose is 
possible. I think they have but, slightly on some stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just just claiming like they need to sell sell a thirty eighty for over a thousand dollars. Not a thing. I don't think. <laughs> no. And when you look at these products, like one of the examples I brought up um, in one of my recent videos, which is one of the AIBs had like warehouses of Turing cards. I don't want to say the exact numbers of each model, but it's like, you know, guys, 2060 and lower, you know, hundreds of thousands of cards. It's like, they're the ones who ordered those and then expected to sell, for example, like a 1650 for $300. I don't know that I have much sympathy for that type of stuff. I mean, come on. Yeah. NVIDIA sold their products. They're going to move on with or without you. They they might delay a little bit just to keep their partners happy, but they're ready to go pretty soon, I think. So let me get into this then. Uh, an aspect I want to touch on on this like GPU oversupply is I don't know. I feel like just a few months ago, there were still so many people in video after video I did saying things like, oh, prices are never coming back down again. Didn't you see the latest report that we're going to have shortages in GPUs till 2024? And then, and, and there's a lot of people that seem surprised by what happened just now. And I'm, uh, you know, maybe it's crashed slightly faster than I've expected, but really we've had a pricing decline for the past three months. It has been a pretty steady decline and it's really only in the past two weeks that it's felt sudden at all. Um, I, does it surprise you that people were surprised this happened? Because there were so many people saying it's ruined forever. And I just think back to what about 2018? What about 2013? And even before mining, what about the GPU pricing crash in like 2008? I think people should go look up how cheap the flagships got with like the GTX 200 and HD 4000 series. I don't think it's entirely yeah. explained by competition. There were flagships selling for $200 a year after they came out for 600 back then. Like, this has happened before, even without mining. Yeah. No, it was always going to be the case that GPUs were going to come down in price. Um, however, I, I might have a perspective that, mm -hmm. that some people might not, might not like too much. And, uh, well, it's and you, can... not me, so please make it so you're the bad guy this episode. <laughs> so... Remember the the price hike with Turing when the 2080 Ti? Sorry, let's start with the 1080 Ti launched in 2017 at 699. Mm -hmm. Incredible value. Uh, early 2018, um, the there was a big crypto boom and the prices of GPUs went insane. Um, by the end of 2018. Uh, that had ended, and there was a big crash, and a lot of used 10 series came out on the market. Um, and then NVIDIA launched, to, uh, yeah, NVIDIA launched Turing at that point. And what did they charge for the 2080 Ti? $1,200. Where did mm. they get that $1,200 mark? Well, everyone was saying um, at that point, the GPU market had crashed. There was a flood of cheap, Pascal GPUs on, on the used market, um, and NVIDIA still charged $1,200 for a 2080 Ti, and a bunch of people bought it. Mm -hmm. That $1,200 was what the 1080 Ti was selling during the peak of the 2018 crypto boom. Yeah, that's true. And that's 
Let me just skip ahead to Kenahoon25, who writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Myers, with the plummeting GPU prices, do you see this causing NVIDIA and AMD to reconsider charging too much for their high-end cards? Usually this would be an easy answer, but the rising cost of food and energy and more people being hesitant over spending a grand on just a graphics card lately, it seems, especially when you apparently just got a 3090 for $800. By default, 3090s may go for 600 or less. We'll, we'll see. NVIDIA and AMD aren't just competing with themselves. They're competing against a cheap used market and them and their previous gen and each other. So that's kind of what you're hinting at. Do you think, how do you see the pricing panning out for next gen? Because I do want to jump in and say, I do think some people are being a little too trigger happy with this idea that they're going to be, it's going to be a cheap generation. Yeah. They're being, or too optimistic, you know, at the yeah. same time, I, I do think that they can't go as buck wild as they probably wanted to deep down. Maybe there, there are definitely a lot of factors. Um, I, I mean, a big one that is probably a lot of people are thinking about and a lot of people are feeling right now is the recession that we're headed into. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know yet how that's going to happen, how much money people are going to have, but it's also, you know, NVIDIA wants to make as much money as they can. NVIDIA has been watching the market, seeing what gamers, they, they know a lot more than we do how many gamers bought the cards during the height of crypto and for what prices. You know, there was definitely a lot of miners that were buying the cards for a lot of money, but they know how many gamers were buying it. And they do, if, even though if they don't want to, even if they overinflate the number, even if they yeah, pretend yeah. they were all gamers, they know they someone has a spreadsheet where they know the difference who was a miner, who was a gamer. For sure. Um, so, if they saw that a lot of miners, or sorry, a lot of gamers were spending well over two thousand dollars on thirty nineties, they're going to want to capitalize on that. That not not capitalizing that's money left on the table, right? They're going to do what's best for NVIDIA is going to do what's best for NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. That being said, based on the various factors, for example, the there's obviously the prices of Ampere GPUs are going down. And I don't think that's necessarily going to stop, even if the next generation is quite expensive, largely because they are so much faster, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Looking- you know, I well, just to uh, kind of like, I, I want to put in some specifics to you what you're saying here, because I, I broke this down, and I'm probably going to do use this in a video in the next few weeks. Like, just how it's actually more of the perspective of the used seller on eBay. Like, depending on how Lovelace is priced, what does it make sense to sell a used Ampere car for, and and therefore what do, what makes sense for a buyer to consider? Mm-hmm. Like, even if we're saying Nvidia doesn't go completely ham, let's say that. The 4090 is double the performance of a 3090, and it's two grand. And let's say the 4080 Ti's have cut down 4090, and it's you know so it's way stronger than a 3090 still for 1200. Let's say they do use a more mid range die for the 4080, but it's still stronger than a 3090 for like 800. Then you get to 600, you're probably close to 3090 performance, which makes sense. I mean, if we're being honest, the 3070 was as strong as the 2080 Ti. This is a history of into of Nvidia making their 70 class be as strong as the flagship did the same with pascal versus titan maxwell they've done this many times well then that means i mean i think the most they charge for a 4070 is probably 600 bucks if they charge 600 bucks 
and it's as strong as a 3090 while using less energy. Even if it uses 300 watts, that's still less. I that's where we get to. Yeah, I can see a 3090 being six hundred dollars yeah, or less. Yeah, I can see a 3080 Ti being five hundred, a 3080 being four hundred. Even if the 4060 is like a two hundred watt 3070 Ti for four hundred bucks, well, that means 3070 Ti's will be on the market probably for three fifty or three hundred bucks. And so you can see the top end isn't going to be an issue, right? Like you're kind of saying, right? The 4090 will sell 2000. It's not competing with the previous yeah. gen, but yeah. mid range and lower, it's kind of a nightmare to price Lovelace. It's a nightmare to try to sell a, a last gen card. Right. And yeah, so Nvidia is competing with the used market only in the mid range. Um, and that's also, we're probably going to wait a little bit you know before they release those mid mm -hmm. mid-range cards just because they want that market to die down a little bit um there there's also a chance you know we've been talking about maybe the performance of ray tracing per mm. rasterization to increase quite a bit you know say if there's uh a lovelace card that has the same rasterization performance as a, a you know equivalent ampere card you know, maybe it's twice as fast in Ray Trace or something. We have, no, I, I don't really know. There, yeah, there's yeah, been we have some to rumors. be careful because yeah. the Ampere rumors that I covered, there was like, I, I think I had a benchmark where Minecraft was like three times better than Turing, but then they updated mm. Turing and it caught up to it. And Minecraft was yeah. definitely not the norm in Ray Tracing yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. But I think I will say this I would be surprised, and it sounds like I'm lowballing, but I would be surprised if. Lovelace wasn't at least 20% better at ray tracing per the same raster increase. Meaning like if you double, it's now 2.4 times ray tracing or something. Sure. Um, I, yeah, the, the double number, I, I really have no idea. It's just, but if it is, that's still a big difference. If it is a notable increase as more games get more ray tracing, we're going to see, you know, these newer cards perform disproportionately well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as things age, you can see Lovelace aging better, you know, than Ampere does in like a lot of the newer games. <laughs> so if you're going to spend $400, you know, on a 4060, well, maybe you would over a $300 3070 Ti because it uses less energy, has better ray tracing. But I think I, well, I know, I 100% agree that one thing that's definitely changed, I would suspect, in NVIDIA's Lovelace launch strategy is I don't think we're seeing their mid-range cards for a very long time, that they're going to just let those used cards sit there for a while. But actually, this kind of also brings me to another question, because we're also getting to where we talk about if people are even interested. And I'm not actually sure what I think about this. Obviously, I think there's a lot of people that are interested. Obviously, I think that if NVIDIA launches something at least twice as strong as a 3090 for two grand, the people who bought 39ers are going to buy that. It's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not doubting that at all. But I do wonder how many people in the mid-range, even if Lovelace is significantly better, just don't really care. And this is a question I thought of before, right before we started recording. Um, how much do you think the goodness, if I put that in quotes, of a generation dictates when people upgrade versus just timing like how much of it is oh this generation's twice as good as the increases we usually get and how much of it is this was a good time for people to upgrade and even if the next gen is way better than what the last one brought they upgraded last year so they don't care so there's definitely going to be some of that um 
I think a lot of people who upgraded to Ampere, even if Lovelace is absolutely like as good as you know people are hoping it could be, there's a lot of there's definitely going to be a lot of people that just you know they had Ampere, you know they're good to go for a bit, but to some extent, um, the bigger of a difference there is gen- generation on generation. Um, the more of those people that just upgraded are going to feel that pull, right? So, you know, I'm I'm still on Pascal. I have a 1080 Ti. I don't have a ray tracing capable GPU. Um, and I might have upgraded during this past generation, but shit hit the fan as, you know, so then I was just watching prices going... Yeah, no, I I can probably just wait till the next generation and see what happens then. And I think there's, I think a lot of people upgraded, um, but I think there's a lot of people like me too that just kind of look for the value and wait wait for prices because, you know, they've got a certain idea of what they want to spend on a GPU and, you know, they don't want to spend $1,000 on a GPU and get, you know, a 70 tier, right? Cause that just, well, but... let me put this in perspective too. I, it's like, all right. So Ampere was like, let's say 50% better than Turing, mm. but it wasn't actually that much more efficient. Okay. Well then let's also think about this though. Turing was more expensive than oh, an insane price increase over Pascal that a lot of people skipped. And so even if Ampere was a 50% increase and Lovelace ends up being, let's say, around a doubling of performance, mm-hmm. I wonder how much people will still go think of Ampere. It does. It still, to me, doesn't feel like the hype around Lovelace is as big as Ampere. Do you agree? Like the hype around Ampere in 2020 was absurd and RDNA too. And, I, and I'm not even sure how I would measure this really, but I just feel like people aren't as blown away by RDNA 3 and Lovelace rumors simply because even if RDNA 3 and Lovelace are a bigger deal, relatively speaking, than RDNA 2 and Ampere, RDNA 2 and Ampere were a big increase after years of stagnation. Yeah, um, I, I I do agree with that. I think the the years of stagnation, and we say years of stagnation, but Pascal was actually pretty good over Maxwell, and Maxwell was pretty good over was before that uh not kepler kepler yeah kepler um, was much more stagnation and maxwell was actually only like 30 percent better but it yeah. was so much more efficient it was impressive and yeah right. um really it was touring that everyone was just mm-hmm. disappointed as hell in like ray tracing is exciting and dlss became good it didn't start off that way but it became very good it really wasn't good until ampere came out of for me yeah basically that's what's so funny <laughs> um but so everyone was just disappointed as hell in turing turing didn't sell well like you know the 2080 was the same price and the same performance as the 1080 or yes yeah, the 1080 ti people were like what the hell is and this and it had less ram and know. it had less ram it was like what the hell? So um, just the disappointment in touring really ramped up a lot of the hype for Ampere because people were like, well, this is, you know, what we wanted out of touring. Um, So there's a lot of hype there. And now it's kind of 
the the hype for Lovelace is lower just because they're kind of burnt out on GPUs. Like the That's prices have just too. been That's so high. You know, they're just you they they probably all just spent so much money on not all, but a lot of people spent a ton of money, way overspent on Ampere GPUs, and they're just they don't even want to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I, that's what I'm saying. That's what I truly think. I think that even if this is a much, it should be a more exciting generation than before. The thing is, the previous generation came after a really disappointing generation. It's kind of like if you're like at like an open mic night or at karaoke, and it's like, well, I'm not as good of a singer as the guy coming on after me, but the bo- person who went before me sucked so much, I look great. And I feel like yeah. that's how people think of Ampere. And people yeah. are so, so many people, you know, you say you had Pascal and you skipped Ampere. I think a lot of people skipped Turing <laughs> and yeah. then they all bought Ampere. So that's just kind of what I'm wondering is despite Lovelace and RDNA 3 being another mega upgrade, arguably a bigger deal than the previous generation, so many people upgraded last gen after being disappointed with the previous one that I wonder if that really is going to be just an anchor, a weight on the neck of trying to get people to buy Lovelace because it is going to be impressive. But I just wonder how many people are like, you know, I'm so stressed out from the previous gen. I'm just going to stick with my 3070. I mean, didn't didn't Jensen literally say during the keynote something to the effect of Pascal friends, this is your time to upgrade? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a huge marketing push. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people skipped it, and now it's a combination of they just, and not only did they just buy, but they just, in a lot of cases, massively overpaid, and they just don't want to think about an upgrade anymore for a while. That, that's, and so, all right, let, let me, just to kind of put a pin in this part of the conversation then, and I'll give some context too, what, I have to be careful how I say it, um, Let's just say that the way 80102 is designed, <laughs> the flagship is designed, it, 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 if it's even remotely close to the margins they wanted on like a 3090, it's going to be an over $2,000 card. So would you agree, though, that the flagship is still probably going to be two grand to 2500 for like a 4090 or 4090 Ti at launch? Yeah, um, I think I think around two thousand dollars is what I'm expecting. Um, I never bought into the you know rumors, which I think most of the time was just speculation from people that it's going to be three grand. I don't think Nvidia was ever really, but I do think they wanted twenty five hundred. So, to me, it depends on whether or not they're launching the forty ninety Ti. So, so we've kind of been saying forty ninety or forty ninety Ti, mm-hmm. um, but I think that is an important distinction. If they're launching, like, at the beginning of the generation, a 4090 and a 4090 Ti together, there's going to be a significant price difference between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 4090 is probably going to be... I could, If they're doing them both at the same time, I could see the 4090 being $1,500, $1,600, and the 4090 Ti being $1,000 more. Mm-hmm. Like maybe twenty four hundred and seventeen hundred or something like that. Something like that. Um, but that th- because I've been saying for a while, like I just don't see how Nvidia could launch 
both 4090 and 4090 Ti together. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard, like, right? Because we have that engineering sample, and I put it. I have to put it in right. engineering sample that said 4090 Ti. But I think people need to remember that testing is. Well, it's not cheap, but it's not like the final decision. Like they could have had someone laser etch in 4090 Ti on an engineering sample, or it could be fake, by the way. Could and, be, yeah. And then they just go, "Eh, we're not launching it." Uh, that's, uh, and, and I will say this too, just again to give context. I, one hundred percent, guys. Nvidia briefed partners on a 600 watt 4090 Ti two months ago. They they briefed them on it, so that was definitely their plan as of two months ago. But I have to be honest here, and I think this is something I've seen you say on Twitter. I feel like they're just going to do the 4090 first and then later do a 4090 Ti. Right. I feel like they're going to change their mind. Because there's a big advantage to doing them separately. If they first sell the 4090, all mm -hmm. of the enthusiasts are going to buy it. And then 8, 10 months, 12 months later, they can release the 4090 Ti. And a bunch of people that bought the 4090 are going to go out and upgrade to the 4090 Ti because there's a bunch of people that have to have the best. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what it is, but they have to have the best. And those people will argue that, like, Titans, for example, don't care. But they won't buy the Titans because, oh, that's that's a prosumer card. That's not, that's not a consumer gaming card. You know, that's how they justify not spending $2,500, $3,000 on a GPU. And I always um, remind them that uh, they're little bitches for not having the best card. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm sorry, you don't get. To, I'm sorry, you don't get to spend fifteen hundred dollars and then say, "Well, that's not for gamers." Well, I my response always is, "It gets higher frame rates, so you don't have the best card, and you still spend fifteen hundred. But I digress. Go right. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, they want to like the thirty ninety. Like, let's be honest, it's over double msrp and for most of the time during during the boom it was selling for well over a thousand dollars more than the, than the 30 to the point that i was telling people maybe just get an a5000 or a6000 right? to have the best like because i mean once you get over <laughs> three grand i'm like dude just get the 48 gigabyte card for bragging rights at this point yeah like it was it was ridiculous and the performance improvement of the 3090 compared to the 3080 was 10% on average. Yeah. Between 5 and 15%. In 8K, it's more than 10%. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Okay. Show me your 8K gaming monitor that you're playing on. No, it's mm -hmm. stupid. Like the 3090 never really made sense unless you had to have the best. I mean, it, it's it's not as bad now. You can get the 3080 or a 3090 for uh, you know, eight hundred dollars on eBay. <laughs> but yeah. It's quite but, a turn. But for most of this generation, it financially made freaking no sense at all and existed successfully only because so many people have to have the best. You know, mm -hmm. there is a card above the 3080, so they have to have it. Um, and they can't argue that, oh, that's that's the it's a, it's a Titan. It doesn't count. It's not a gaming card. Well, no, this is... It, NVIDIA was genius for, as far as I can tell, discontinuing Titans and calling them 90s. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, now, people, now they, yeah, now it's not a prosumer card and they just made it a little cheaper. And there you go. I, yeah. I would say this though, too, like at, just as an update, too, to just be clear about like what I'm saying from like behind the scenes information, like 
to my knowledge, NVIDIA hasn't briefed partners on anything new than what they did two months ago. So the current plan, I don't know, the right word's not legally, but like semi-officially is we're going for a 600-watt flagship. But I've also heard that some AIBs, surprise, have had power problems with the 600-watt boards. And so, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there is a good chance they just make it a 450 watt, 1500 to $2,000 card at launch and then let the dust settle. And then they launch the flagship once they figured out the power problems, number one. And let's be honest, after they know what they actually need to do to make sure they beat RDNA 3, because if they wait longer, they can kind of wait for better RAM to come out. Like I, I was told that it might actually yeah. be capable of using GDR7, by the way. And to the people that doubt that they would launch a GDR6X card this year and then use the same board to launch a GDR7 or an updated version of the same design to use GDR7, uh, the 4090 Ti uses a 16 pin that didn't even exist when the 4090 came out. So just remember that they've done this before where they update the board with newer standards. And yeah. actually, yeah, with GDR7 on the horizon, it even makes more sense for them to not launch the 4090 Ti yet. Yeah, uh, originally I was basically saying, you know, from a business standpoint, it made no sense for them to launch them together. Um, because yeah, like, like you say, there's, there's definitely a lot of benefits, you know, not only can they get that second sale, but they can also add in new technologies, give the board partners more time to refine the designs. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of benefits to waiting for that 4090 TI instead of pushing it out. That being said, if they do push it out mm -hmm. and it costs nearly a thousand dollars more, that's still a viable strategy from NVIDIA's perspective because it's them like basically accepting that they're not going to get that second sale later on, but, True. but what they're getting instead is way higher margins on that insanely overpriced card. That yeah. They're boosting performance by 10% early, right? Just yeah. so they can get the money now. Yeah. So, you know, I well, I was just going to, not to cut you off, I was just going to add, an, I think this scenario, launching the 4090 Ti first, makes sense if they're planning to do a full refresh one year later, that's less of a major upgrade, like more of a Kepler 2.0 thing where they go, hey, this new one, it's not doubling, it's not even 50% better, it's like a 20 to 30% better generation, we're using better yields, better binning, and we have GDR7 across the lineup. That is a option for what they could do that for me would be why they launched the 4090 ti right away it's because they want to beat amd to market they know they're probably not going to win so they should just make it as expensive and big and early as they can and then they're going to do a refresh with a whole new generation next year but if they're not going to do they that could. i think it makes no sense i think it just you got to do a 4090 then to just leave room for a new flagship if you need it yeah and and i mean with with uh touring we saw the, I think the reason they created the super line was because they burned the TI naming on yeah. by launching the 2080 and the 2080 TI at the same time. So yeah, it just feels dumb to launch a 4090 and a 4090 TI because at that point yeah. you go, well, then it's this is the new 80 class. Like you have, yeah. <laughs> like what's yeah, going exactly. on? In yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask this then. I think we agree that no matter what, like they're going to be at least 1500 at most 2500 for this flagship. Where do you see, 
And I think you've seen kind of the leak to die configs, right? Like top Lovelace is 80102. It's like 18,000, not 1800, 18,000 CUDA cores. You're looking at something that doubles performance. Then 80103 is actually significantly smaller. 80103 is really similar in the size difference to what we saw with 104 to 102 previous gen. And that's probably going to be something a little better than a 3090. And then you have 104 that's like a little worse than 3090. And then 106 that's probably around 3070 Ti or something. Like, where do you see the 4080 being segmented and priced? Because I've actually been thinking about this a lot the past few days. And I could I could actually see an argument for why the 4080 may be farther away from the 4090 this time around than uh, last gen. Yeah. No, I, I actually definitely think that's the case. Um, I mean, if you just look at the core counts, it looks like uh, AD102 is way bigger than AD103. Mm-hmm. But... If you look at previous generations, that's actually proportionally what we've seen in the past. And it in, in the past, it's been about around a 30% difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are increasing the... Perf- I mean, if they want to charge $2,000 for the 4090, I think it makes a lot of sense to put um, the 4090 is the only... At first, the only... Mm-hmm um 80102 gpu release the the 4080 on 8103 at about 30 percent slower for maybe a thousand dollars and have so the 4090 will be i say could be more could be more expensive than the 3090 was but offer more of a performance benefit more mm-hmm. more carrot i guess more reason yes. to get the 4090 over the 3080 because because yeah we we just talked about how a ton of people still bought the 3090 over the 3080 because they wanted to have the best but also a lot of people went 10 percent. i'll just save my money Mm-hmm. Um, the 3090s success is largely a result of the fact that people are just buying whatever they could get their hands on. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But there are a lot of people I know who said I can't get a hold of a 3080, and any of the ones that ever come in stock are twelve hundred dollars, anyways. I'm just getting a 3090. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that will be the case this time around. So I think Nvidia's yeah, got to be smarter I, about it. I, I think. I think the cards probably will sell around MSRP. We can talk about that more a little bit later if you want. This summer, whether you're getting exercise outside or finding ways to stay active indoors like me, it's always nice to have something around that acts as a quick and tasty meal that's also healthy, full of protein, and reasonably priced. For me, that's Vite Ramen, who is a sponsor of this piece of content. Vite Ramen is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and crafts a protein and nutrient-dense meal that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. In fact, it's even quicker now with Ramen Go, a product that offers the same calories and taste as their traditional V3 packages you're probably used to now if you're a follower of this channel, while allowing you to even more quickly make your food or bring it to work for lunch. And they keep updating their recipes, like the new V3 edition of Beef Pho, so you keep having fun new flavors to try. Click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different special bundles just for Moore's Lawsuit fans that include things like spoons, chopsticks, and more if you so choose. 
This is a great deal for you, and it helps support this channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's tasty. It's healthy. It's fast. They keep making even better and better recipes that are quicker and quicker to make, and it's reasonably priced. Try Vite Ramen today. Well, Roy Ackerman writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Meyer. In light of the crypto market and plummeting GPU prices, do you expect the next gen will end up with closer to MSRP prices and better availability at launch? I currently have a 1080, which I grabbed for $650 during its release month. So that would have been five years ago. Oh, wait, six years ago. I was hoping to grab and upgrade this gen. Cheers, Roy. I, I absolutely think, um, I mean... I think there's going to be a certain number of people that will buy uh, Lovelace basically right away. There's going to be a big rush in the first, you know, few weeks, month, maybe two months, where, you know, availability could be spotty. Um, I do want to jump in, though, and say this preemptively to undoubtedly the people in the comments who week one of Lovelace sales will be like, oh, it's just like before. Guys, yeah, yeah. same thing happened with turing pascal polaris gcn every, every generation. generation sells out the first month this is not comparable to what happened with ampere sorry i just get exactly. annoyed when people yeah, yeah, yeah. go on go on yeah so the first yeah we're gonna see people oh it's the same no it's not um so yeah th there could be a short period of time where you can't buy for msrp but just like hold on to your britches for a month and i think you'll be fine um so the question is, what what is MSRP going to be? Like, mm -hmm. you'll be able to buy it at MSRP, but you might not like what MSRP is. Well, um, and so let me say this too. Like, I think in a world where there would be massive shortages, hard to get products, that's the world where NVIDIA would charge $2,500 for a 600-watt flagship out of the gate. And then they yeah. also launch a cut-down 8102 for like 1200 for like a thousand because they can but in a world where there aren't as many shortages and amd is super competitive and there's gonna be availability that's where i could actually see nvidia going oh um actually like you're saying the 4080 should be based on 8103 but we'll use full 8103 it'll be like 30 percent weaker but because it uses a die that's frankly two thirds as big, we can afford to price it at eight hundred dollars if we need to. Even though four nanometers expensive, it'll, it won't cost much more to make than a thirty eighty. Although I will say it's probably going to use more energy than a thirty eighty, so it's going to cost more to make because of the board costs. But that, that's why I think they would use a different die for the forty eighty as well. I, I think they're going to want to charge a thousand dollars for the 4080 i think they could charge as low as 800 depending on mm -hmm. what they think they can get away with because they have more data on that than we do because they were exactly seeing yeah, what gamers bought throughout this whole past thing um but yeah i i think best case scenario we're, we're looking at an 8103 uh 4080 for 800 and and to be clear 8103 again it looks a lot smaller than 8102 but i think it's only going to be about you know 30 percent slower and it's going to be a massive upgrade over even the 3090 ti like mm -hmm. I, I, that's kind of where i'm looking to to upgrade personally to be honest is either 8103 or, or navi 32 depending mm -hmm. on what, what kind of what i'm getting. thinking a little bit yeah. as well depending on what happens with if now that i have a 3090 like if i yeah. even care too much but yeah. 
Let me because that's the interesting question though. If the forty eighty comes out, let's say it's I don't know forty percent better than a thirty ninety, and but it has less RAM and costs more money than what I bought already. I'll go. Eh. <laughs> you you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where do you think the forty seventy would be priced at then? Because my suspicion is six hundred dollars thirty ninety performance. Honestly, that's what that's my expectation is too. I've seen some people on Twitter say, "Oh, it's going to be you know four ninety nine, maybe uh, five forty nine. I'm like, four ninety nine is not happening. I could see five forty nine, maybe five forty nine, maybe. I think six hundred dollars is more likely. Like we are going to see an increase, but it's not going to be a huge increase, right? Nvidia's like we also have to consider like inflation exists. Mm-hmm. The, there's multiple factors inflation the fact that you know what can they get out of out of gamers and that they can always charge a little bit more now and then reduce prices sort of do what amd has done in the past with you know like ryzen 5000 right the price starts off high and then as sales start to decline we'll let those prices start slipping Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not officially but they let the price yeah, on not Amazon go down exactly yeah well and i think when we look at the high power consumption of lovelace which again i think at a minimum we're looking at a 450 watt 4090 and probably a 350 watt 4080 although it could certainly be 400 watts um i yeah a reason they're doing this though too is to maximize the performance they get out of a given die space this is them deciding you know, if we just take a smaller die and clock at 50% faster, it has half the efficiency, but we're also getting something 20% better in the same amount of wafers. So I think that it makes a lot of sense to just start the 4070, push it really hard to like 300 watts and say better than a 3090, $600. That way it's not really, it's barely competing with the used cards on the market. And I think that's just where they let the, the lineup sit until the used market starts I don't know if it ever will, though. We'll see where it goes. Like, they may be really reluctant to ever launch a 4060 outside a laptop. I bet they launch the 4060 to laptop beginning of next year, you know. But, but, I mean, okay, so let me ask then, uh, what do you think the power consumption they will land on with the 4080 is? Because I know so many people think it's decided. It's really not. It's not decided. And when I look at the fact that I think they can, because I did an analysis video on I think they can get away with... uh, 500 watts in a three slot design if they want to can they get away with 400 watts in a two slot design because i had a 3080 ti i tested and i um overclocked it to use 400 watts and it worked it was a little loud but if they could make 450 watts already fit inside a 3090 cooler with a better heat sink and you know just they did tweaks all over it to make it cool better you think they could do the same with like a 3080 ti cooler and push it to 400 watts because I, I don't I know there's rumors it'll be above that, but I'm sorry for a 4080, if it's, especially if it's 8103, I just don't know why you would try to go over 400 watts when below 400 means anyone who owned a 3080 can probably power it in their power supply. The thing is, could they? Yeah, they could. Um, with, with enough engineering and tweaking, they could probably get it not be crazy loud, but like the, the question is, is the engineering cost worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to say. Like, yeah, could they? It's it's possible, but 
and and you also have to consider these these cards like the the 3090 ti you know all of that engineering effort and the tweaking and stuff that was reflected in the price of the card whereas a 3080 isn't this crazy halo or the 4080 won't be this crazy halo product it's it's a more reasonably priced relatively relatively speaking, speaking. um cards so they're probably want to have something that's a little bit easier to mass produce a little bit easier for aibs to to get functional design with because it's not just you know nvidia's engineering getting a card and board working that that cools it properly it's it's the aibs that that also need to be able to accomplish msrp or at least close to msrp mm-hmm. with with some margins without overspending on engineering to make it work so like like could they they could but it's not a good idea you think it's more likely in other words it sounds like you're arguing they're likely to just cap it at like 350 watts or something Three, so 350 watt cap is way more likely in my opinion um four, mm-hmm. 400 400 is possible but you know that's that's pushing like it, unless they're willing to increase the size of the card like if if the forty maybe I don't know, you know. Yeah, maybe it'll be you know halfway in between what the thirty eighty and thirty ninety reference design sizes were. We we don't know where this is going, but but four hundred watts in a two slot design, I just that's it's possible, but pushing it, you know, it's just the the cost is. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I remember how much. Even though I had consistent all sources, actually, a few months ago saying the flagship seems to be around 500 to 600 watts, 450 watts minimum, I held out going, uh, but 450 watts just seems like anything above that's absolutely absurd. And now we're kind yeah. of hearing they may back it back down. That's kind of where I'm leaning with the 4080 as well, because I don't know where these rumors are coming from of like a 420 watt, 4080 and a 450 watt. 4090 because relatively speaking the 3090 use 10% more energy than the 3080 so that's not 10% that's almost the same energy so yeah. you're going to have a 450 watt 4090 i think 400 watt max 4080 i, I just yeah if they're choosing yeah. to use 8103 that to me signals they're choosing to bump it down a little bit so they can mass produce something reasonable below a grand that that's what i think it indicates um i actually want to uh what is it what's the phrase switch gears here for a second to the amd side of this equation so the remedy writes in and he says hello tom and guest we all know about nvidia trying to reduce five nanometer orders and delaying their lovelace launch and that competing against their own ampere stock is probably something they want to avoid but amd is also going to have to deal with this secondhand ampere stock saturating the market as well what do you think this could mean for RDNA 3 pricing, will this affect it at all compared to NVIDIA, potentially driving down the cost for the new cards, or will the next generation pricing be astronomical compared to even the COVID madness? No, I mean, anything affecting NVIDIA is affecting AMD, but like, how do you think it might be different for them? Or do you think it's different at all? I don't think it's different at all. Um, in the past, AMD has had different strategies trying to undercut NVIDIA, and it never worked for them. Um, mm-hmm. Like in AMD, there's there's a small part of the market that'll go for AMD because they're you know better value or whatever. But for the most part, AMD and GPU or like, GPU sales are dominated by mind share. 
basically playing the budget option um, only works when that's the only option that you have. Mm-hmm. If you have something that can actually compete, playing off as the budget option means you get screwed because people high prices basically have this this air of quality. People think <laughs> that if you're lower in price, it's crap. And and people have been treating AMD like that until until Radeon or in, until until Ryzen started changing that and mm-hmm. you know and it seems to have mostly only affected their CPU mindshare to this day. It's just mind-blowing. You know, I, I, I've yeah. said this a million times, but an anecdote that I saw in person at the Carolina Games Summit when I was uh, at that conference in August was something that a couple of contacts there pointed out to me. Like, if you have a 3070 Ti MSRP of, you know, $600, people will pay $900 and line up around the block to get it during shortages. But the AMD cards, they really couldn't get people to pay a grand for a 6800 XT easily. I know that appeared on Newegg to everyone listening, but very few people actually paid that much. People are willing to go a little over MSRP for AMD, but not a lot over. And in NVIDIA, they are. Yeah, AMD is in a tough spot because if they if they price too low, um, they get looked at like they're the budget crappy brand and, you know, they're undesirables. So, you know, there must be a reason they're so cheap, right? Um, but if they price too high, people just aren't willing to pay that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they kind of that's why we've seen more recently, except for at the Halo tier. You know, the sixty nine hundred XT was two thirds the price of the thirty ninety, but the sixty eight hundred XT was only fifty bucks below the thirty eighty. Like in Nvidia has been launching first. And AMD has been launching afterwards, looking at the pricing and basically going just a little bit under, except mm-hmm. for at the Halo, at the Halo tiers, right? Um, where the AMD simply can't charge as much at the Halo tiers. But everywhere else, in you know, anywhere where people are thinking about value, um, AMD is basically just copying NVIDIA's homework. And so, they kind so, of have to. Well, let me ask then. So how do you think it's going to pan out? Because I do think it basically, it sounds like what you're saying is, look, of course, short, like, of course, a, just a pile of extra cards on the market is going to affect AMD. You don't think it'll affect them any differently than NVIDIA. And that means you like Navi 33, let's say, is like, you know, again, 6900 XT performance in 1080p or close worse than 4k only eight gigs of ram i think they might have wanted to charge 500 bucks for that in the past i feel like now they're going to have to do 400 dollars for that because it's an eight gigabyte card around navi 21 performance don't you think though and i and i don't think that's crazy i mean they're selling the 6650 xt for 400 dollars now so why wouldn't they sell the 7600 xt for 400 dollars if it doubles 6600 xt performance I'm just having such a hard time believing that that Navi 33 is is 6900 XT performance with only eight gigs of RAM. That's insane to me. Well, um, the 2080 is 1080 Ti performance with only eight gigs of RAM. I mean, keep in mind. Yeah, what I'm okay. We, like, yeah, it's it's possible, but just eight gigs of RAM just seems so low for that. I'm not sure. Like how will they get? Pe- it's it'll have to be cheap to get people to buy it. Um, 
I think 400 at most. And if they go over yeah. that, people are going to be like, whatever, I'm getting a, what I'm just getting a used it, card or something for 300 bucks. Exactly. Like eight, eight gigabytes of RAM isn't what it used to be. It, I've seen people say this too. Like there's no way they should launch a card that powerful with eight gigs of RAM. And my response always is it's, it's always about price though, isn't it? I mean, if it was yeah. $300 for an eight gigabyte, 6,900 XT, it'd be the second coming of Christ for PC gamers. Wouldn't it? I mean, sure. yeah. all of a sudden it's 500 and it's evil. So I think there's a medium there that they're just going to try to hit. I think it used to be 450 and now it's probably 400, 350 to 400 because it does cost less to make than the 6,700 XT. Again, I keep being told mm-hmm. this for, for the right price. Um, it also kind of depends on what what uh, you know what the ray tracing performance and you know mm-hmm. FSR performance and stuff like that's going to look like. You know, is FSR two point getting in more games um, that can help out? Not that FSR two point is a selling feature because it works in AM, or in, in in Nvidia two, but FSR two point basically helps diminish the yeah. value offered by DLSS. That's that's what it is. It's a market mitigation is what it mm-hmm. is um, it's which not is to like parody quite yet but it definitely mitigates the issue in a big it's, way it's a mitigator yeah which is you know that that's what they need that's fine um but yeah at, at the right price you know six sixty nine hundred xt with eight gigs of ram like at the right price that's that's a great it could be a great option it's just so, so I, I just, you know, gun up to your head, what's the right price? And this is just for fun, because I think I agree. $500 seems ridiculous. $300 seems like a charity case. <laughs> Where yeah. do you think, is it 400 or do you think it's like 350 430 400 give or take 30 bucks, maybe? You know, it's, it's yeah. hard to say exactly. They, they have a lot more information on the market than we do. Um, but, yeah. Around four hundred dollars is probably what we're going to see. Uh, oh, not necessarily what we're going to see. What seems reasonable, I guess, at this point. Where do you see the rest of the lineup kind of lining up? Because I have heard that AMD wants to take market share this generation uh, in a way that they didn't really attempt to with RDNA two. They did not make as much RDNA two as they could have. For a few reasons, but like now I hear they want to take market shares. Do you think, and think about what this means too. If, if it's a $400 6900 XT, that means it's probably not that far away from a $600 4070 in performance. Well, I, I like that's pretty competitive considering how much cheaper it might be. Where do you think they put like a, you know, 7700 XT that's probably, you know, stronger than a 3090, 7800 XT, and then their card that's it, it, I think around double the performance of a 6900 XT and wildly better ray tracing from what I'm hearing. But again, I'm not going to put an exact number on it. Like, where do you think they're going to price it relative to our hypothetical Lovelace pricing we already talked about? Say, say if we're comparing a 4070 and a 7700 XT, and the mm-hmm. 7700 XT performs better, beats it in ray tracing and in rasterization, um, it will not be cheaper. Mm-hmm. You Even don't if you it think has they charge six hundred bucks for it. They're like six hundred bucks if the forty seventy six hundred as well. Yeah, unless unless it loses. If it loses, it'll be cheaper. But if it doesn't lose, if if it's like exactly the same, it'll be slightly cheaper. Like sort of like the the thirty eighty and the sixty eight hundred XT were trading blows. Basically, mm-hmm. exactly the same performance and rasterization. 
Um, and, you know, AMD priced it at $50 cheaper. I don't see AMD changing up their strategy too much. If, if, two, if AMD is convincingly beating it, they're going to charge it more. Maybe not a lot more, but they're going to want the price. Like, the price sends a message. It's not only mm-hmm. a calculation. It's a statement, right? If the price is lower, it says, we understand we're worse. If they don't think they're worse, if they think they can um, actually compete, charging it, uh, charging a little bit more says, hey, our card is better. We know our card is better. You should buy our card because it's better and it's worth a little bit more money. It might be worth, like, the margin by which it wins might be more than the margin by which they charge more. Mm-hmm. But they're going to make sure they send that statement, we're better and we're no, we know we're better. Exactly. Joachim Hagen um, writes in and says, one more question. NVIDIA and Apple cut production, but AMD seems to be plowing forward with next gen wafer allocation is part of the reason that they have a lot of products to allocate the wafers between or do you think they're going to try to grab market share this generation even if it's a bad mark even if there's bad market conditions and i'm just leading into just a blanket question i just had here which simply is how do you think it's going to pan out do you think amd is going to take market share this generation do you think they really have a chance how do you think nvidia is going to be perceived because i will say this i'm sure nvidia is going to lose efficiency they're going to guys so we know that but like how do you think this is all the dust is going to settle on competitiveness and market share this generation and again anyone listening hey we're having fun here talking about it we're not you know putting our reputations on the line we're just spitballing here yeah i definitely need a hardware in box crystal ball Mm -hmm. (laughs) um no but it's it's hard to say what I think is going to happen. Um, I think AMD is improving. They're like their drivers are in a way better state than they used to be. People are talking a lot less about don't buy AMD because their drivers are awful. Um, people are still saying it though. They they're coming off of a good generation. RDNA two was good for mindshare and honestly it comes down to mindshare so that's a lot of what i'm talking about and it takes multiple generations for that mindshare to shift mm-hmm. um so the chances that rdna3 beats lovelace in sales is like nobody's talking about that it's not i think me and you both agree right? there's like a almost zero chance of that but do you think yeah. there's a chance instead of the market share being whatever it is now which is usually nvidia has you know 70 to 80 percent of the market at all times do you think yeah. we shift down to 30 to 40 like amd actually gets above a third of market share or do you think it's going to stay where it is i th- i think it's hard to say um exactly but i think in or amd has a good chance if they play their cards right you know they, they've got the efficiency they um, if the ray tracing improves relative to what NVIDIA's got, that's important. FSR 2.0 needs to be in more games. You know, FSR 2.0 isn't as good as DLS, DLSS, but it's close enough that... Like, it, it is, like, within, like, 5%. Is, it's, like, the same thing, almost. It's, and yeah, sometimes so, it's kind of better. Yes. Like, honestly, if, if I've got... Um, an nvidia gpu and i'm playing a game that has both um obviously i'm going to use dlss but if i've got an nvidia gpu and i play a game that only has 
FSR 2.0. I'm not bitching about it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, cool. You know, I can turn on something that's almost as good. Or if I've got an AMD GPU, um, if I've got that option, it's, you know, it's fine. Like, it's it, DLSS is better, but um, FSR 2.0 can help mitigate the the mind share basically so given that assuming if, they they assume they get that adoption then you're saying you think they can they, make some they need share. they need more game a lot more games to have fsr 2.0 and they need the ray tracing um they're gonna win the, the efficiency in all likelihood i don't think efficiency matters that much but it's one part of the equation um and if they can price things right with with performance they have decent amount of ram like um there's a decent chance they improve their position relative to the previous generation. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. they're not going to win. That's basically my question, yeah. too, is do yeah. you think they're going to improve their position relative to and, the And I think they can. It's going to take time. Um, just just like Ryzen, it doesn't happen overnight. doesn't happen in one generation. Even if AMD outright wins at everything, it's not happening in one generation. Mm. It's going to take time. And in many ways, I actually kind of see RDNA 1 and RDNA 2 were, th- were pretty close to each other in launches. If you really think about it, RDNA 1 was just a early mid-range launch followed by the, as people sometimes have called it, the fixed RDNA 1 and RDNA 2. But then they also had Infinity Cache that had a full lineup. Like, I kind of see RDNA 1, RDNA Two is Zen One Zen Plus in a way, except that I know RDNA Two wasn't just a little better, but I, yeah. I understand. But they also use more yeah. energy. You have to take yeah. that into account. And I think that RDNA Three is going to be kind of like a Zen Two situation, where well, okay, now the efficiency argument's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they basically win at everything. But I'm sure Nvidia will push one of their cards hard enough where they can claim they've won at something. And I think it's going to take RDNA Four to be a Zen Three moment where it's a clean sweep. Uh, and, and the reason I think it would take RDNA 4 is RDNA 3 uses chiplets, but it's like the first time they're trying it, kind of like Zen 2. I think RDNA 4 is going to be the one that really pushes the advantage. And when everyone asks me, because of course now they're already asking me, like, what do you think the RTX 5000 series is going to be? I'm like, mm-hmm. Blackwell? I Honestly, dude, I don't, <laughs> I'm not paying any attention to it. But my only question with Blackwell is have they figured out chiplets? Because if they haven't, I do they pulled the power consumption lever with Lovelace, and they kind of did already with Ampere. The levers are gone, yeah. and three nanometers slowing down. What are yeah. you going to do, NVIDIA? You're already using the newest node with four nanometer, most likely, too. AMD isn't even, like, you pulled the node lever, the efficiency lever. You pulled everything, the cooling levers. You pulled all of the cheating levers you can at this point. If, if you're not on three nanometer... I don't think GDR7 is doubling performance. I don't know what you're going to do against RDNA 4 early 2024 because I think that's just going to be like a more radical version of RDNA 3 with now AMD is using 4 nanometer. Now they're using even more chiplets in the latest RAM. Uh, That is where I think NVIDIA is really in a bind if they don't figure out chiplets. And as far as we can tell, I'm not seeing the telegraphing. They're figuring it out because Hopper is monolithic still and yeah that kind of was a little that surprising, was a surprise right? yeah i was i was sure hopper was going to be mcm but um to be fair we also 
Early whispers were suggesting that uh, RDNA three was going to be MCM, at least in the compute role, also in the compute die. But mm-hmm. now it's not. the 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 compute die is monolithic with IO and other mm-hmm. things like maybe the Infinity Cache or separate into other dies. So I don't know if it was the case where AMD had designs for both and they went with the or the the monolithic compute die because it performed better or they did have a monolithic design by the way a year ago um i was shown evidence of a early rdna3 design that had 96 compute units and was monolithic and i think what they're doing right now is like an mcm version of that if i'm being entirely honest that's what it is very clear to me okay if AMD pulls off at least what we're hoping to and NVIDIA's still on monolithic. I don't see where they go. They're maxing out the Reddit yeah, on the newest node know, using boatloads of energy. Yeah. And, like, and you look what at what AMD do? is doing now, like another telegraph for how ahead AMD is in chiplets is they had, I believe the first one, what was it like Arcturus with just a gigantic, cdna one card and then we have the mi200 series which they've kind of figured out two two same dies communicating and then mi300 they've already basically leaked snapshots of the one i leaked which is like it's like 12 chiplets almost ponte vecchio looking that's gonna launch um and then if that's what they're doing in the professional market, then what I'm seeing is they're on like third, fourth gen chiplet GPU by late next year. And NVIDIA, where is the professional concept? Like you don't even have concepts of a multi-chip design that seems to work. So that that's what that is. Again, that's and I guess what I'm saying is too. my point by bringing all of that up is I'm not saying Blackwell can't be a chiplet architecture and who knows there's also this remote chance that like it's like an apple situation where they do several generations until it's perfect and then that's when they move to chiplets there's a reason mm-hmm. to go monolithic there's less latency there are cost benefits to being monolithic so i would understand yep. if if in the background nvidia is actually on their third gen of chiplets and they don't want to try it until it works well like they're it's hard for me to, yeah but it's hard for me to believe they're at the same level as AMD when <laughs> they've still shown nothing. So even if Blackwell is chiplet based, I would argue it's going to be like chiplet 1.0 versus AMD's chiplet 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. Um, AMD definitely seems to be ahead in, 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 in the, in the chiplet game. NVIDIA is also pretty excellent engineers though. So they could mm-hmm. pull something out of their ass. It's, it's, basically never count jensen out absolutely never count him (laughs) out but again it's just for me it's like this is where i sit there and go i don't think they're going to get a three nanometer chip that clocks faster than their four nanometer custom nodes so i'm really wondering where they go next um yeah let me um let me switch gears again i don't know how much you want to talk about this but amigo garrigo writes in and he says what do you expect the initial price inflation will be for zen 4 cpus and motherboards and how good will the availability be at launch and i'm just using this to kind of launch into a discussion about if you have anything to say about raptor lake and Raphael z790 am5 that type of thing yeah i i feel like i mean everything that i don't have any neat takes on it i think all all my points that i could say have been kind of talked to death i feel Mm. like the initial um announcement of zen 4 was 
you know, there was some degree of sandbagging happening. I was pretty vocal on Twitter that it's like, oh, no, they're, I didn't say they're done, but it was like, it was not what I was hoping for. But as more information came out, they're talking about it more. I think it's going to be a really good competition between um, Raphael and Raptor Lake, um, both in single single core performance and in multi-threaded performance, the question is going to be segmentation and prices. So I don't think AMD is going to be able to get away with an $800 16 core mm-hmm. Zen 4. I, like it would just be the Raphael's i9 is going to be, or not, uh, Raptor Lake's i9 would be, cheaper i mean they only charge what six hundred dollars typically and it's Pretty probably going to yeah. be around the same performance so that's probably what amd can get away with charging right mm-hmm. so, I-, I suspect they're going to charge a little more for the top Raphael. so i don't know what that means does that mean eight hundred dollars i don't think so and again a lot of people go but it's on five nanometer they have to charge more and i no, Zen 3's margins no, were hilarious. Yeah, they really the, mar- the margins were crazy, yeah. They can charge whatever they need to charge. The question is, They've what actually they got a lot of charge? room. Yeah. So, and, and I think they, I don't know, yeah, I think they might charge a little more, like $700 or something, but then they're like, our platform's cheaper and better. I think that's yeah. probably the argument. And then I think you're going to see things get down and dirty in the mid-range where there's going to be really heavy pricing competition when they're not flagships. At least that's what I'm expecting. I, th- I think the the discussion here is a lot more interesting, um, not literally on the CPUs themselves, but on the platforms. Um, I agree. Because the CPUs are, yeah, they're probably going to be very similar to each other. <laughs> they're going to be very similar, <laughs> guys. I so, mean, like, really. like, you know, if, if you're just looking at the CPU, buy the one you like, or, like, flip a coin, like, who cares? But the platform... Um, the platforms are very different, you know, uh, X670E versus uh, Z790. Um, I kind of like B650 Extreme more than Z790, but we're not even going <laughs> to forget. Like, like it's like, at the, if I look at the design of Z790, as far as I can tell, it's just like, hey, you get like eight M.2s, but one of them's 3.0, two of them are three, and then like the rest are 4.0, unless you cut the PCIe lanes in half for the GPU. Meanwhile, with AMD, B650 costs less to make. And yes, you only get like four M.2s total. Oh, well, at least some of them can be 5.0. You don't need more than four M.2s and the platform costs less. And then Z- X670E is just better. Like it is it's yeah. just a better platform. So I, I definitely agree. X670, X670, um, X670E, uh, it's better. Um, I mean, X, we, we talk about X670 versus X670E. That's really they're the same platform. The difference is, um, you know, with, with E, they're requiring the boards implement all of the features of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's... Which, when I look around, I, I rechecked one of the data sheets I was set for, like, an early planned, like, like like a spreadsheet of, like, what one of the motherboard makers was planning to do for all their models and, like, how the, many slots each will have and blah, blah, blah. 
And what's interesting is X670 non-E, so the non-extreme, does tend to sacrifice PCIe 5.0 support for the graphics card a lot. But I noticed a lot of the X670 non-E actually support multiple M.2 PCIe 5.0 drives. So I, I found that interesting is that really the main differentiator for being honest about what's different it is the gpu slot speed b650 4.0 but you might even get a 5.0 ssd in a normal b650 for like 160 bucks which to me is more important than the gpu slot kind of i don't think gpus mm -hmm. are going to need more than pcie 4.0 times 16 for a very long time and the same goes on and on and up up the stack you pay you buy x670e or b650e so you can have the latest gpu slot speed from what i can tell and I think that makes it, yeah, it's, I think people care more about that anyways, you know, and, and, and again, like they really are cheaper than I think Z6790 is going to be. Thing is, I, in terms of the PCIe lane, I think, um, I think the reason Z790 made the choice to only have the Gen 4 SSD, unless they cut the GPU mm -hmm. in half I think the reason for that is because they want somewhere to go with the next generation. Um, you know, because in, in Intel releases a new chipset with every CPU generation. AMD doesn't necessarily do that. And Intel also only does um, two generations per socket. But it's, I, I saw a meme with, with Yoda talking about Intel sockets, you know, two mm -hmm. there are, no more, no less. Um, and, and that's what, you know, Meteor Lake's LGA 1851. It just exactly. seems like, yeah. Yeah. So what, what we know is this is going to be the last CPU on the socket, and there's going to be a new, uh, a new chipset and a new socket for the next generation after this coming one. Which means I think Intel is just thinking, well, they want to be able to add some sort of feature every generation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they're kind of counting on, like, I, I went and looked at what the performance difference on, you know, various generations of PCIe for GPU. And honestly, it doesn't matter that much. Like, if, if you're sacrificing half of your PCIe 5.0, like even if you're running a 4.0 GPU um, at, at by eight, hell, there was people running, well, there was tests, there was a tech spot uh, review that I just went and looked at because I was curious what the difference in a 3080 running mm. even as low as PCIe 3.0 by 8. And you only get more than a like a 5% difference in performance if you're well over 300 FPS. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's just a result of current games, though, and like you're playing just a little bit with fire? And obviously, this is the classic future-proofing. Half the time, it doesn't pan out how you think it will anyways. But don't I do remember people making similar arguments when 3.0 first came out with the 7970. And yes, it was like four years later or something, but there were a couple games that just... The performance fell apart in some games at lower bandwidths. I, I mean, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to all cards, but the 3080 is a flagship right now, so it's not weak. It could, it's conceivable, you know. 
I mean, it's, I suppose it's fair to consider probably the biggest thing that's going to use the PCIe lanes a lot more going into the future is storage. When the mm-hmm. GPUs are using direct storage and requesting a lot more data a lot faster from the GPU. So we're going to see PCIe 3.0 speeds quickly not be enough as the GPUs use those. But I, I think a misconception that's pretty common is, you know, if you take, if you have a GPU that's twice as fast, well, now you need a PCIe lane that's twice as fast. Which is definitely not true. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, it's, but there's a lot of factors that go into what you use the PCIe lanes. Like it, something that actually does use the PCIe lanes a lot more. And this could actually be a big, big issue on um, like Navi 33. If you don't have enough RAM, and you have a very fast GPU, it's going to offload that RAM to, to your system RAM, and then it's going to be requesting that from your system RAM. And that puts a far greater load on your on your PCIe books. One thing I want to bring up, though, that I see as the biggest issue for Z790 is just how they price it. So we're, I don't think me or you entirely disagrees with the decision they made for PCIe 5.0 support. That's fine. but. Like I said earlier, I, I truly do think that I would recommend B650E over Z790 if they were the same price, if it gave you one, uh, you know, an, a 5.0 SSD slot and it still had like three 4.0 SSD slots. Like I'm looking at a chart next to me right now of like uh, what some of these motherboards from one of the board makers. And yeah, so... One of them is around 300 bucks is the plan, and it has a Gen 5 times 16. It has three uh, M.2s for 5.0 and, an, and a one 4.0. Now, I'm guessing what that means is only one or two of those can be 5.0, but you can have like three 4.0s unless you cut the lanes in half. But wh- if one's $300, and I think Z790 is going to often be $300, would you not take the one that cannot cut your lanes and have to give you a 5.0 SSD. And I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying though? Like how is Intel going to price this? If I don't see, at least from what I've seen, any X670Es that cost over 500 right now, I'm sure there will be a couple, right? But I don't see any right now. And most of them seem to be three to 400. 670, X670 non-E is like 300, like 250 to 350. And your B650s get all the way down to 120 bucks. Like, how do you price Z790 then? Because it kind of has to be the, the same or less than Z690, no? Yeah, um, that's that's basically kind of the important difference. Um, obviously, uh, Intel's working with kind of fewer features. That their, their platform isn't as good, but in ways that don't matter as much. So they have to... Yeah, they can't be too much more expensive. Um, they You have to basically do the math with the cost of the motherboard and the CPUs together. So if they end up really, you know, the CPU plus motherboard being a lot more expensive than CPU plus motherboard for AMD, they're going to have a really hard time selling um, mm-hmm. because they're going to be so competitive. 
That being said, there's also another factor that we have to consider is the platform longevity. This is mm -hmm. a dead-end socket for, for Intel, but for AMD is the first generation of a socket that likely is going to last a long time. So if you, mm -hmm. if you buy the AMD platform, you know, yeah, okay, you're probably spending a little bit less on the platform, maybe, compared to Intel. And, you know, you're getting some, you know, features. You'll be able to have the, you know, full 5.0, 16 on the GPU and, you know, 5.0 SSDs and, and all of that, sure. But, but you'll also be able to, four years from now, be able to pop in a Zen 7 CPU. Maybe I'm not confirmed. I, but like, I would say probably at least Zen 6, but yeah. Maybe Zen 6, but but that's still like multiple generations. You're thinking, so like I just, I, I have, I just replaced my 2700X with a 5800X 3D, just a drop-in replacement. Didn't mm -hmm. replace the RAM, didn't but replace the motherboard. co-host's uh, Broken Silicon's probably going to do that too. Yeah, just literally 2700X, boom, 5800X 3D, nothing else. Like I was literally able to overspend on the CPU because I didn't have to replace the RAM or the board. Like I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have spent that much on the CPU if I had to do anything else. And and my RAM isn't even good. It's I've got crappy old RAM from 2017, but the the V cache on the, the 5800X 3D makes it so you basically like your RAM doesn't really matter. I mean. To a certain extent, maybe if it was like twenty one thirty three, it would be worse. But like, but so it's... think of all these different factors that I've been trying to highlight in my recent content. I I believe will make AM five and Zen four far more appealing than it was initially given credit. And to be fair, yeah. I think AMD's uh, reveal of the Zen four was odd at the least. But yeah, like odd. let's at least like I, I just want to call this out. It, to me, seems like a lot of the perceived disappointment a lot of people have so far with Zen 4 seems to come from this built-in assumption that AMD has to crush Intel every generation now. Because it's so funny how back with Zen Plus, Zen 2, Zen 3, it was like, what if they win by 5%? That's crazy. And yeah. now if Zen 4 ties Raptor Lake, it's a disaster? Like, what has yeah. happened in one generation? The expectations for AMD have gone so high that if they don't win at everything by 20%, it's bad. I don't think it needs to win at everything by 20%. And I and the, who and I think AM5 and Zen 4 launches first. So who's going to wait like two months to buy a Raptor Lake CPU that uses more energy on a worse platform that costs more that's on a dead-end socket? Who's waiting yeah. two months for that? Yeah. What if it wins by 10% against Zen 4? Whatever. Yeah. They, I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, I, honestly, I, I agree entirely. AMD is just fine. And even without that, Intel has this perception over the past several years that they've been getting their ass kicked. And not only getting their ass kicked, but like it's, it's not even that pe people don't see Intel as having been doing great things and AMD is just doing better. It's mm. that AMD has been doing great and Intel has been just sucking uh, time and time again, Alder Lake is an exception. Alder Lake they delivered. Alder Lake's great. Um, 
I, I, you know, can't say too much bad about Alder Lake other than it, you know, uses a lot of energy, but, um, but not know, even that, was, that much, really, if you break it down, it's, it's pretty impressive just overall. Yeah. Like the 12700 is actually very reasonable. People look at like the 12900. It's like, Oh, look at, you know, this 240 watt, like it's crazy. You know, it's so hard to cool. And then just assume that applies to everything else. No, it doesn't. It's actually pretty reasonable. Um, and in gaming, a lot of the time, you know, you're not smashing the CPU under like a synthetic load during gaming, and it's actually just fine. But other than that, Intel has like generation after generation of failing to really impress, and people were just sick and tired of, you know, the same old and, you know, missed promises and delayed products. And like people, AMD's or Intel's mindshare is really slipping and mindshare matters a lot. AMD controls the mindshare now on the CPU space, which is kind of crazy to say, but I, it's but they of, do, at least in the circles, they do. So, you know, AMD doesn't have to win. Now we're in a position where, <laughs> exactly. where Intel is the one that has to win to, to really claim that back. It's the opposite. Of what, what the GPUs are like, like, like I said earlier, Radeon versus NVIDIA. If Radeon is better in every way and cheaper, NVIDIA is still going to sell mm. more cards. That's just not the case with the CPUs with, with AMD versus Intel. Intel is now the underdog, and they're the ones that people are waiting on, expecting them to deliver well if they want their money, or if, if they want their business. And I think Intel knows this and they're trying, but it, you know, it's one thing I want to touch on to nip the rest of this, like kind of AMD and Intel conversation. Um, actually it's touched on by a reader mail here. Joachim Hagen writes and he says, Hey, Tom and Meyer In the earlier days of the Moore's laws did channel. I remember Tom saying a couple of OG times, it's not a bad product, only a bad price with Intel falling behind on products. Can they keep up with pricing because they own their own fabs and I, I bring this up because I've actually gotten this from some of my Intel contacts recently you started arguing with me like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter if Zen 4 wins, it's going to cost more and we're always going to be able to undercut them. And I don't know if these people have paid attention to their own company's earnings calls where quarter after quarter investors in Intel have been recently asking when are margins going back up. Intel's actually getting hammered by a lot of their investors right now, that yeah. their margins are lower than they were five years ago. That being said, Intel's going to do what it has to. Um, even if the investors are on their ass to increase margins, if, I mean, it would be better for, like, Intel's not going to overcharge for a product and have it not sell and just be absolute fools on the marketplace. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Yeah, the um, i9 600 bucks. We, you know, we've seen this. They're, they're not overcharging. Yeah. So, like, it's yeah, it's investors want better margins, but that's that's on Intel's um, development. Their 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 R and D. It's it's about delivering the products. Um, but in terms of when when those products get to market. Intel's going to charge for them what they need to charge in order for those to make sense on the market. 
and they will be. But you, but you see what I'm getting at, though, right? Sense. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree because with I think you. some people are acting like AMD is just going to be priced out of the market by Intel, and I'm like, I don't think yeah. it's that simple. Intel's actually been under a lot of fire lately in earnings calls. I think, yeah, I think you're not going to see Intel go crazy anytime soon. But at the same time, I think where Intel is right now with pricing, I don't think they're getting cheaper. I don't think they can really afford to without getting in trouble. Or do you disagree? Because I'm just saying, like, the earnings calls are getting pretty heated right now. They're like, hey, you said you'd be back up to normal margins by now. And now they're saying, oh, we will in 2024. And now I'm hearing Meteor Lake is delayed. And I'm like, will you? Yeah, but those, those earnings calls, I mean, actually, there's in, in business circles, there's weirdly a lot more emphasis on um, the margins than like year over year earnings like like how much money are you actually making um which is kind of weird like it's it's the sort of mindset that leads companies to uh like collude with each other and do price fixing because their share prices are more dependent on the the price of the thing that they're selling than it is by how much market share and how much money they're actually making. So if they sell a lot less, but what they're selling, they sell for a lot more. They're worth a lot more. <laughs> Even if their market share is way lower. Well, it's because yeah. these investors see that and they're thinking long term. Like if they can't hold good margins, what's the point in them taking market share? That's why exactly. But but it becomes a gamified system that doesn't actually make sense if you take a step back and examine the whole situation. Um, so uh, that was a bit of a criticism on a lot of these investors that probably aren't listening to me anyway. But, <laughs> um, but don't you think Intel's probably at least <clears throat> uh, uh, under the spotlight a little bit to catch back up in performance now because they can't afford to be they're at much lower margins than they've traditionally been at for the past decade for a few years now. And the promise they made to investors is this is temporary. We'll be back by 2024. And, I, and again, I'm just kind of leading into when I hear about Meteor Lake, LGA 1851 potentially slipping to 2024. I'm like, I don't know that your margins are getting better if you expect to price Meteor Lake against Zen 5, guys. I, I don't think so. Yeah, that's that that's that's an unfortunate situation. But I do think that the conversation about margins, the executive um, lineup of Intel will know that they need their products to sell in order to keep making money, to build their war chest, to um, be able to continue developing new products. That means they will, even with the investor pressure for higher margins, um, the way Intel is going to take that investor pressure and translate that to uh, communication inside the company is not going to be the products that we have charge more for them. It will be pressure to make products that they can charge more for in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think Intel still will, even with that, um, investor pressure for higher margins even with a fire lit under them even with the fire lit under them they will still if they have to in order to sell more products and make money in general like make Mm -hmm. make more sales and make more money they will charge what they have to for the products in order for them to sell 
Can we agree on this, though? Okay, so we're saying Intel will do whatever they need to to keep market share as much as possible, which I agree. But that doesn't mean they're going to try to lower prices unless they need to. <laughs> like, they don't oh, want to no, get into pricing sure. wars. Yeah, no. Because there are some people that act like, oh, they're just going to do what they need to to price AMD out of the market. And it's like, uh, I don't think they're going to be the instigator of a pricing war anytime soon because they don't want that. It's not going to be a pricing war. It's going to be kind of what we see with Intel and in or AMD and NVIDIA. Um, AMD used to be, you know, try to be in the instigator of pricing war. That never went well for them. Um, and they've started pricing maybe just under mm -hmm. NVIDIA. And I think that's sort of the behavior that we can expect from Intel, where they're going to, they're still going to charge as much as they can, as much as they can get away with, but they're also not going to charge too much so that they don't sell it. Mm -hmm. Right, because yeah. I think like a Raptor Lake i5, which should be six cores, six big cores, eight little cores, the top K one, at least. Yeah, I think. I don't think they're going to go to 250 guys. I think they're going to they're going to stay 33 three, 300 to 350 and they're going to leave room for AMD to have a decent 8 core at a similar price. I don't think they're going to try to undercut AMD by 100 bucks because they are running into margin issues now that they didn't have before and they can't afford to like you know, they don't want a war of attrition right now. They they want to keep they want to just slowly climb back. Um even if we look at like the market right now between uh, Zen 3 and um, Alder Lake, like the i5, like the i5s are winning in gaming, but the difference in productivity is actually like pretty huge. The mm -hmm. i5s are matching the i7s in productivity because of those e-cores. And if those, if the next generation has even more e-cores, then AMD is going to be the one that's forced to respond with mm. different um, segmentation in order to match that. Otherwise, they'll just look bad. Or it'll be a case where, oh, if you're just gaming, maybe you can get... Uh, if you're just gaming and you're not literally buying the flagship products or the Halo products, then you sort of go with Intel AMD kind of has to combat that that approach. Well, I think we, we've, we've kind of seen already what they're going to do when you look at the 5700X with the same MSRP as the 5600X, right? So I think what we're going to see is a probably a 7700X for 300 with eight cores with yeah, Zen 4. Right. That's my guess. And then you're going to see like a 7800X3D for 400 or something. I, something like that is what I think is likely because they've already kind of telegraphed what, they're, what they can do. And I, I do think it's time they start moving those core count prices down. see <laughs> what's wrong? Heat getting you down? No? You're paying too much for Windows keys? Well, come on, you know you don't have to do that by now. After all, it's certainly been no secret that CDKeyOffer.com has been a reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for years. They're the go-to place that I recommend my fans use for getting PlayStation, Microsoft Office, and Windows operating system keys for reasonable prices. You don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of the percentage of your build's price on a Windows operating system. Go to CDKeyOffer.com to get a legitimate, reliable key to build your new system without wasting too much money. I use them to make 
the Alder Lake system next to me for benchmarking graphics cards. And if I build a Zen 4 or Raptor Lake system this fall, you can bet I will be going to cdkeyoffer.com right away to get a reasonably priced Windows 11 key. If you do go to cdkeyoffer.com, make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows software and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. They even sell gaming chairs, mice, and keyboards right now. It's a good place to go to to get reasonably priced products and to also show your support for Moore's Law is Dead. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. I want to switch gears here a little bit to the consoles, which is actually why we reached out to each other or why you reached out is a possible thing to talk about. First, we've spent so much time on the other stuff. Um, Falto writes in and he says, as of now, what are the most likely performance targets for a next gen Xbox Series X up refresh or a PS5 Pro? This is a hard question. And with all of the talk of the next gen consoles, I haven't come up with a good answer for this. It's it's difficult to think because it's it's actually a lot easier for Xbox. Um, Xbox mm. uses DirectX, and as far as game development, you can basically just throw hardware at it and console go burr. Um, but with PlayStation, that's simply not the case. Um, PlayStation uses a much lower lower level API, and that lower level API, the effect of it is the developers spend a lot more time, um, or at least they can, and in some cases do, spend a lot more time um, doing like low level hardware optimizations to get more out of the PS5. Again, often they don't. Um, in most multi-pla- multi-platform games, they don't. But but a lot of PS5 exclusives, um, they will do that. Mm-hmm. Which and means... I'd say half of the third-party games, there's a couple to the metal things in there. It's just not like sure. they put a ton into the whole thing, and half of them don't do any optimization, really. Yeah. yeah. So when, when looking at where... PlayStation is going with the the PS5 Pro. Like you have to take into account, um, they don't want to piss off their developers. They need development to be as smooth as possible. They don't want to have to like basically do two completely different sets of optimization. Um, so what can they do with the PS4 Pro? What they did is they had a very simple approach that was very much um, led by a desire to target 4K. You know, when the PS4 came out, it was a 1080p, often, you know, 900p or whatever, but it was a 1080p console. Their target was 1080p 30, pretty clearly. Yeah. And then by the PS4 Pro... um, the only thing they changed, yeah, okay, like they they overclocked the CPU, but it was the same garbage CPU. They overclocked mm-hmm. the RAM a little bit, but not by a whole lot. You know, they still had a hard drive in there, even though SSDs were affordable at that point. Um, the only thing they changed was the GPU because the goal, all like you don't need a faster CPU to go from 1080p to 4K. All you need is a faster GPU, and that's all they did. 
That's the only change they made with the PS4 Pro. And so the design, when they went in, the goal of the hardware, what they went and said, we need to hit 4K. So you see that in the marketing, you see that in the design, you see that's what they delivered was a 4K PS4. 4K. <laughs> 4K, yeah. I mean, same way the, the PS4 I, I was 1080p, right? I have to save you from the right? comments. Yeah, people yeah, are yeah. going... Oh, I think it's worse than the PS4 1080p. Yeah, even I mean, now I think Horizon is 1080p, if I remember correctly. But Yeah, I like, mean... No, 4K, they really were yeah. rarely 4K. <laughs> I mean, the there, there was a lot of checkerboarding and, and, you know, whatever else. And I think any time it did actually hit 4K, it might have been checkerboarding. Um, but the checkerboarding upscale There's a couple is... games that did, but it was usually with some caveat or it was a really easy to run game. And yeah. I think they even built hardware custom. Uh, they did some custom tweaks to the silicon to specifically run checkerboarding efficiently even yeah, so like, yeah it was did. like from the beginning they were like this is checkerboarding but you know you you mentioned this to me though you think that they might do a similar thing with fsr 3.0 um or at least someone mentioned that to me maybe it was a contact <laughs> i don't remember if i talked to you about that probably wasn't you now that i think about it yeah but... i don't think it was me well there's recent rumors that rdna3 really does have some new tweaks in the silicon for like an almost tensor core like approach and this might be used to accelerate FSR 3.0. And what I've had someone suggest to me recently is that you could see a situation where it is literally kind of a PS4 Pro situation. So a newer version of GCN is what they did for PS4 Pro. You know, they they doubled the compute units that time around. I don't know if this time around, because RDNA 3, it's it's different. They, I don't think they needed double compute units to double performance. Um, and they now may have a hardware accelerated FSR variant coming out. If they have that, it's quite conceivable, just like they had tweaks in the silicon for checkerboarding. They plan for FSR 3.0 being like, no, it's mandated. Every game uses FSR 3.0 from the get-go in the API if it's, you know, if it's optimized, shall we say, with a PS5 Pro enhancement. Like, and if you combine that with, say, like a little bit faster RAM, some new tweaks from the newer architectures, I think they can get you something that's kind of similar to what they did with the PS4 Pro without increasing the bomb cost too much. Although now there's inflation, so it might be an excuse to charge more. But but my my big question with the the PS5 Pro is what is the actual goal with the PS4 Pro? It was going from 1080p to 4K. Um, for for those listening audio, every time I've said 1080p or 4K, I've been like massive finger quotes. But I mean, the PS5 box literally already says 8K on it, and 8K isn't a big marketing thing yet. So what is the design goal of a PS5 Pro? Like, you know, in the boardroom when they're sitting around going, okay, we're going to make a PS5 Pro. What are we designing for? What is, what is the reason, what is the goal that this thing should achieve in games over the PS5? What is it? I don't know. I, I've got a few, though. I think it's an excuse to charge more. I mean, honestly, inflation's really hit them hard. Like, you notice Sony made these re these reports come out where Sony's like, we're breaking even on the PS5 already. And then they haven't said that again. <laughs> the second RAM prices went up because they're probably not breaking even again. Yeah, uh, And I've had a be. lot of and a lot of my contacts have said, like, they kind of need an excuse to charge more for the disc version is one reason they might do it. Um, another reason is 
last gen, I they didn't care that much about Xbox. They were selling crazy well. Xbox really was failing to compete. This time, Xbox is competing. So the reason it they is, may yeah. do it is they have to. And it's kind of like, why would Lovelace launch this year if they need to get rid of a lot of stock? Because they have to, to compete with RDNA 3. They're not competing in a vacuum. So I think that's why they would do it. The thing is, I keep leaning towards it making more sense for it to be a cheaper, sooner, not an elaborate thing. Like these mm-hmm. ideas of like, <laughs> of like PC gamer wet dream checklists of things to add to it. I go, sure. I think they want to double performance at the same price and charge a little more even. Sure. But okay. So the PS five pro let's, let's assume it's happening. Let's assume, you know, market pressure, you know, they're, they're looking over at Xbox who's probably doing the same thing. They're going to release mid gen. That's faster. Um, so the PS5 Pro is happening, let's assume. Now, you're in that board meeting with, with a bunch of engineers in the room. You still have to figure out, like, what what is the the target for, like, are you trying to run all of the same games um, instead of, you know, at 30 FPS, you're now running them at 60 FPS, because if that's the goal, then the the CPU could be a, a limiter in a lot of cases, and changing the CPU massively changes how you approach optimization and, um, you know, changes the, the APIs with, with the PS5, like, it's really, really difficult for them to make any big changes to the CPU because of... I, I don't think it will be, though. I think they just go with... Again, my my suspicion, although I could certainly be wrong, there's so many different things they can do for different mm-hmm. reasons, but like, if I was in the boardroom, I would be advocating for an RDNA 3 Zen 3 Plus 6 nanometer thing that just attempts to make the same thing better for the same price. It doesn't go crazy. I, and then I think you just market 4K 120. Like you put 120 mm-hmm. on the box. And, and and if you look at LG's new uh, OLED TVs, in fact, those new LA, LA, OLED TVs can now hit 138 hertz. It's just hilarious to me. Yeah. Seeing like a mainstream TV manufacturer actually kind of get that people are buying these for gaming and they're yeah. like not going to sit around at 120 hertz. That's what I think it is. I think they go, we double graphics performance. We increase, and, and you know, last gen, they couldn't make the CPU better. Let's be honest, they couldn't. Like, AMD was dead in the water. This generation, they can. They can go from 3.4 gigahertz to 4 gigahertz with Zen 3 Plus. And if you do that, you're probably about doubling performance. And you don't really need a double performance to hit 120. It's okay if it drops to 110 every now and then. Like, I think that's what they aim for. And they're like, hey, if you have a 4K60 TV, just get a normal PS5 Slim now for 400 bucks. It's fine. This is what you want. But if you have one of those new 4K 120 TVs, and surprisingly, almost every TV now seems to have a 120 hertz option. This is why you pay the extra 100 bucks for a PS5 Pro. Maybe they add more storage too. They're like, this is the premium enthusiast gaming experience for $600. I think that's the selling point. And again, this is not in a vacuum. It's so they can launch something that markets 4K 120 before the Xbox refresh comes out so that they're not the first ones to advertise it. That's what I think. Yeah, it's it's possible. I, I still think 
it's really unlikely that we see a different CPU in it. Certainly there won't be a, a difference in storage. Um, I think more those. storage, but they're not going to, yeah, no, I don't think more, they're going to change. The more SSD storage for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. More storage for sure, but not, not the speed, not the type of storage. If the, um, if the SSD is clocked faster, it's because it has to be because they can't manufacture it slower. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put any money into clocking it faster. Um, yeah, no. I, and, the thing is, every every single case of consoles we've seen um, have, like, the Xbox Series X and S, the Xbox One S and One X, and the PS4 and PS4 Pro, they all have, you know, the, the slow to the fast version. To be fair, all of those examples are 1080p to 4K. Which makes me, like... It's it's hard to design a PS5 that's not going to piss off the engineers. That's not going to require a bunch more optimization. Like it's, I I don't know. Here's my answer to that though: is why are we so sure it's going to be that hard for them? I mean, with the PS4 Pro, they added FP16. They 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 it was a newer architecture, and I asked one of my contacts about. Something you said to me offline, which was this idea that I think isn't a bad thought, like, you know, how hard is this backwards compatibility thing going to be? Because the way Sony handles it is like analog to the metal backwards compatibility. It is not this, you know, abstracted DirectX layer. Um, And he said, I mean, he's he I think he said to me, dude, the PS5 is an RDNA 2 chip that can run GCN 1 code to the metal. I don't see why putting it to RDNA 3 is going to make that any harder. RDNA 3 doesn't drop GCN compatibility. So that was his explanation, is that it, it really wouldn't be as hard as you think. Now, he's not 100% sure. Even people I talked to at AMD aren't 100 No one's 100% sure than like a team lead at AMD. <laughs> you right. know, that's the only people that are 100% sure. But yeah. I don't know that it's that hard to keep compatibility if they've already done RDNA 2 to GCN 1. There'd probably be some features stripped out that they don't think it needs for backwards compatibility reasons. Because they already did do some things for thermal balancing that were really interesting for the PS5. Interesting if you're a dork. Not interesting for most people. But like they stripped out these things that really are only useful for running calculations that they never run when running a game. Because they were like, it like gave them a 5% more consistent thermal load. They yeah. like like who really cares? I, I would guess there's some things they strip out for compatibility reasons, though. I would. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, yeah, I, I, I originally was entirely, I, I was con- entirely convinced that the PS5 Pro is not happening, just because, like, they're already at 4K. It makes more sense if they really want to push a new set of hardware to just go. Uh, to just do a PS6 a little bit sooner. And it, it's it's sort of the same with when people were talking about the Switch Pro. Like, I was always like, guys, the Switch Pro isn't happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I turned out to be right there. Like, in 2020... I think like, I agree e- with you on that, too. I think I, or I think I did, too. I don't remember ever being convinced there would be a Switch Pro when they can just do a new Switch. Like, 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 um, Kimmy and Greymont, I... 
I don't know if Greymon, but but for sure Copite 2 Kimmy was releasing multiple like these are the specs of the Switch Pro in like 2020. And I'm like, no. I, I don't know who told this person that, but that's it's not happening. That's that's not a real thing. Um the Switch Pro is not happening. Mainly because Nintendo doesn't give a shit. Like they are on 1080p mm-hmm. and they could make a 4K Switch Pro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're kind like of on 1080p. Almost 1080p. They're like on 900p. They're on 720p. Let's just be honest. Yeah, right. But the thing is, Nintendo plays by their own rules, and they don't care. They they could just put a bigger GPU in there for like going towards 4K. The thing is, they don't care. They have never cared. Why would they start caring now and release a Pro that supports something that they don't care about? What they do care about is more console sales because unlike PlayStation and Xbox, they actually make say, they, they make money on the sale of each unit. So they unlike so PlayStation and Xbox want as many people as possible to have a PlayStation or an Xbox because they make margins on the software. Mm-hmm. But if you already have a PS5, PlayStation does not care about selling you another one because they don't make a lot of money, they, they often lose money on selling you that other hardware. What they want you to have is some hardware so they can sell you the software. Nintendo wants both. They want to sell you the hardware and the software. So they want well, Nintendo. And I also think, I think that there's a clear, and I'll just make this section the Nintendo Switch 2 discussion. Like, sure. I think there's a clear mindset with the engineers at sony and microsoft where they go what technology is out at the time what are developers asking for mm-hmm. we built a console based on what min maxing price performance yeah. for that year like yeah. whereas i think nintendo goes it has to do this that's literally it make it as cheap as possible and they they don't care the fact that they used maxwell with the switch in 2017 should tell everybody Everything they need to know, Maxwell hit the performance target they wanted, and they said, good enough. They didn't even pay 10 extra dollars to put Pascal in it. They wouldn't yeah. budge. They're like, Mike, they're like, NVIDIA, we want the cheapest one. And, and, you know, they did the same with the Wii U. They had a target. They wanted to be a little better than a PS3. And because of that, they had a 1.3 gigahertz CPU for some reason, even though it probably would have cost them nickels to make it 2 gigahertz or something. And, and that really held them back. So yeah. when I look at what they're going to do with the Switch 2, I'm almost exclusively looking at what's possible and then bumping it down because I don't yeah. think it's about price performance. I think we just go, they don't care. It, it's going to use a custom version of Orin or Atlan. It's just going to be whatever that NVIDIA SOC is, a custom version of whatever they can make use 10 watts. That's it. Yep. And, and if Nintendo can save a buck and have it be half as fast, they'll probably do it. The reason Nintendo is going to make a Switch 2 is when Switch sales start declining a little bit, they want a new shiny piece of hardware to start making games for so that all of those Switch owners can now go out and buy this new hardware. That's why they did the OLED, hoping, you know, the OLED was barely an upgrade, but a lot of people, it it was a new thing that they could charge more for. And also, it was just enough to be slightly better in some ways 
so that some people were looking at their old switches going, oh, this doesn't have an OLED screen. I could have a switch with an OLED screen. I, I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's the same as like why Sony might launch a PS5 Pro. It's so they can keep charging $500 for something that costs effectively the same to make. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at what the Switches are selling for now, it continues to just, it shouldn't, because I've been watching this for 20 years with Nintendo, but it yeah. should, it, it still kind of blows me away. They're getting away selling 350 for something that probably costs 100 bucks to make. Like, I'm just yeah. sitting there going, oh my God, this is like a five-year-old smartphone processor with three gigs of RAM. You can get smartphones for 100 bucks with these specs. Yeah. This is so profitable per unit right now why yeah. do they add the oled so they can keep charging 350 because it probably costs them five more bucks to give a nicer screen yep that being said with the switch 2 i do think there is one design goal that they're going to have with it that's what i was going to ask is like what is the minimum specs you think it needs to meet whatever they're trying to do so let, let's first talk about what they're trying to do before we can talk about what specs are required mm -hmm. to achieve that and I think what they're going to try to do is they'll want the next Steam Deck to not be able to emulate its games better than it can run them <laughs> natively. Because it's already kind of getting there with the current Steam Deck. Yeah. Well, no, the, the Steam point. Deck, the Steam Deck, not almost, no, the Steam Deck does run Switch games better than the Switch does through emulation i haven't paid attention to that but i think i did see an article pop up arguing that or showing that so yeah i mean and that's just it's honestly kind of pathetic so um the steam deck is three to four times as fast as the switch which means emulation mm -hmm. is pretty efficient there's not a ton there's some, obviously there's performance loss while emulating but nintendo because they want people to buy their hardware and buy their software. But I think Nintendo's looking at the Steam Deck as a possibility or indication of what could happen more in the future. There's a lot mm -hmm. of hype around the Steam Deck. A lot of people, you know, there's not a lot of sales with the Steam Deck necessarily. And it's not very attractive of a console to look at. Um, but... It's, it's an idea that Nintendo doesn't like, um, mm. that I would suspect that they don't like. Um, and I would see Nintendo cracking down even harder on, on emulation going forward and also making it more difficult to emulate. And one way to make it more difficult to emulate is by having faster hardware. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I think they're going to overnight suddenly care about hardware and make insanely fast you know handheld as fast as they can make it no there's they're still gonna want to make money on the sell of each each console from day one but they're probably thinking more about having a little bit faster just to make emulation less convenient right and so i think it sounds like we might agree on this i think their goal is to be able to argue their device is stronger than the Steam Deck a little. That's it. I yeah. don't think they need to crush yeah. the Steam Deck. Um, do you think their goal is at all, though, like minimum run next-gen games? Like, Because that's always the thing that's annoyed me to no end, is it's like if they made the Switch 1 Pascal and gave it 4 or 6 gigs of RAM, 
just that little bit extra. They could have run all PS4 games. They yeah. could have. Like they, they yeah. needed like one more gig of RAM and like slightly more grunt to be able to easily. Yes, it would run at like half the settings of an Xbox One, but whatever. It, it would just pay ten dollars and let it run the latest games. It's mind blowing to me. Do you think they'll pay the extra ten bucks this time so that they can say? Oh, it's like, you know, the performance of a 1650 that can do DLSS and ray tracing. That way, whatever the PS5 and Series X are doing at 1800p, we're going to do it like 1080p with DLSS turned on and have just enough RAM to do it. Do you think that or not? Because when you say you don't think it's going to have 16 gigs of RAM, I go, 16 gigs is more than enough to be able to run all next-gen games if they did it. But do you think they just, I think eight gigabytes would be a slap in the face. Like, where do you think that lands? Well, the Xbox Series X has 10 gigabytes and it's expected to run all next Series generation S. games. Series S, yeah. Has 10 yeah, and gigs. devs are already complaining about that, by the way. So 10 is definitely the minimum. Devs are, devs are complaining about it, but it's there. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. what they have to work with. And even if they release a new Series S replacement, those old Series S's that are out now still have to run it. Um, And so, and also you have to look at, like, they got The Witcher 3 running on the Switch pretty well. It doesn't look as good, but it runs. And it's it's, missing entire areas that it can't (laughs) run. The Running is up for debate. So, anyway, um, I suspect that one of the things that Nintendo's going to do... one thing that I would like them to do, and they might have to do, considering the entire rest of the industry is moving that way, is much faster storage. Nintendo's mm. been using, um, like, they haven't been on hard drives, but their their games, like, their, the cartridge speeds have not really been better than a hard drive anyway, because the hard drive has been the the goal, like, the, the benchmark that Nintendo that basically all games are running off of. So there's no reason for the Switch mm-hmm. hardware to support faster storage speeds than that. And I, with, with Nintendo, I use the term storage and it refers to, you know, onboard storage or uh, the, at the cards or the, the cartridges that the games are loaded on actually directly. Um, because Nintendo, unlike everyone else, can actually run the game directly off of the card as you're playing it. Um, mm-hmm. Say if you have a PS5 and you buy a game, before you can play that game, you have to download it from the game onto the console, like from, right. from the disc onto the console, because it can't run that game from the spinning disc fast enough. I don't think Nintendo is ever going to require that you download a game from the thing that the physical thing that you bought before you mm. can play it, Nintendo's like going to want and whatever reasons. Nintendo's going to want you to be able to plug in your game and play because Nintendo's more about sort of that like kid friendly experience. Um, the traditional way you operate a console, yeah, so the, you put yeah, the, the tradition. You put the slot in the cartridge in, and it runs. And yeah, off you go. Like the you, you think they go but, with like. Um, like USB, like some kind of like proprietary version of like a USB 3.1 cartridge that's fast enough to operate like a slow SSD. That's what you're thinking yeah. they're going to do. Yeah, they're. I think they're going to do fast cartridges so that they can load these new games. Um, I think they're going to have 
actual internal SSDs in them. I think that's going to be a big thing because the current switches have 64 gigabyte eMMCs. Mm-hmm. Um, and eMMC is just garbage storage. Like it's, it's small and crappy. So I think they're going to have a, nothing like a PS5 SSD, but I think they're going to have internal SSDs with maybe like maybe 250 gig or something like that, maybe two gigabyte per second. You know, I don't nothing... rule out just 32 gig. It's Nintendo. They may just do 32 gigs, but have an option to get a cartridge that's 64 if you need it. And if you ask me, I think 64 is actually enough. A devil find a way to fit it in there. For the cartridges, yeah. Um, You're saying built into the console. I think built into the console, they're going to have more storage because more people want to buy games online. Mm. And yeah, with the Switch, like you have to, like a lot of the time, if you download a game, you basically need to buy an external SD card to fit those games onto it because the Mm. Switch, the internal storage of the Switch is just too anemic for most games. Like, in a lot of cases, if you have one game on the Switch, that's it. Well, let me let me skip ahead a bit here and say, I mean, I'm working on a, a Switch 2 update leak, and I guess what I'm willing to disclose early is it does sound like it's probably launching within 12 months. Now, that may surprise you to hear that, but we've already had rumors of them stopping production of the old Switch and like stockpiling like 20 million. So I think they're already preparing for this transition early. Um, and so if we were to launch at the end of this year, like, so it sounds like you're saying you don't think 16 gigs, but are you, when I look at the Orin NX, I think what NVIDIA, NVIDIA, well, NVIDIA and Nintendo are going to do is take a custom Orin NX, which is a 1024 CUDA core, uh, 128-bit LPDDR5. Honestly, when I look at the performance of it, Actually, this is going to make me laugh. Isn't that literally the same amount of SMs as... Yeah, it's 8 SMs. It's the same as almost the Steam Deck, but NVIDIA. It's an 8 SM, 128 LPDDR5, 128-bit LPDDR5. I think, what is this? Uh, Depending on how many you give it. Yeah, 8-core CPU. APU, I, I think that's kind of where it is. And if you look at what the configurable TDPs on this are, it says 10 to 25 watts. So I think they take something like this if it's made on Samsung 8 nanometer. The only thing I would throw at you is do you think there's any chance they take the AGX version, which is the 2048 CUDA core one, but it's manufactured on TSMC? No, there's any chance. But particularly, that, that makes it even less likely. So it's a bigger GPU on a more expensive manufacturing plant probably not five nanometer but it'd probably be on like six nanometer and so it would still have efficiency benefits over samsung eight nanometer yeah it would have efficiency benefits but it would be a lot more expensive and like again the switch used maxwell (laughs) like you have to you have to even even thinking about nintendo wants these things to be harder to emulate you have to like remember it's still nintendo they mm. they 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 want to make as much money as possible on these things they're not going to go crazy with specs like and samsung 8 nanometer would mean they can just spit out tons of them without exactly yeah that's why yeah. i kind of lean towards that actually yeah um, without going into what i've heard the specs are i will say though 
I think I, you know what I I'll say, I think I can kind of answer the question about which way they're going for everyone listening. It DLSS is core to its function in terms of how it's going to get the graphics it wants. I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. I think we've heard for a while that I'm not the first person to suggest the next switch will make DLSS a major feature, which I think is good for NVIDIA too. Yeah. NVIDIA is then forcing all devs to support DLSS. And so yeah. it's going to be supported moving forward. I don't hear it's very good at ray tracing. So I think that answers your question about which one it's on. I'll just say that now everyone listening. So it's not going to do a lot of ray tracing, but it has DLSS. And I think that tells us right out of the gate, it's probably the 10 watt 1024 CUDA core, probably cut down Orin. Um, would you agree eight gigabytes is just not enough though? Like if they do eight gigabytes like that, like I think they should go for 12. I think that's the sweet spot. Well, how many gigs of RAM does the switch have? Is it two? It's like three. Yeah. Oh, three. Yeah. So was that enough in 2017? Not the really. The PS4 and the, the, the Xbox One had eight. So the Switch, yeah, three gigs. You know, it's... Well, technically the PS4, the, the Xbox One X had 12 and the PS4 Pro had nine yeah. total. I, I think mean, it's unlikely they give it 16. That, that makes the Switch look even worse compared to those, though. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, maybe, like... Maybe if in or maybe if Nintendo wants more people to buy third-party games on the Switch too, because most people that I know that have Switches just buy Nintendo games on them. Well, I mean, so what I would say is, yeah, I don't know. Now you're actually almost kind of convincing me they would go with eight gigabytes. To be honest, yeah. but the the only reason I actually would think they'd go with sixteen is so they can just be confident saying what they have is better than the Steam Deck. But again, is that really something Nintendo cares about much? And if they force devs to use DLSS, that cuts down on RAM usage a little bit. Um, and I think 1080p screen, don't you? Or do you think 900? Because <laughs> I almost wonder. I kind of doubt 1080p screen, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like it would do 1080p fantastically. I think we're looking at something that is likely to be a little stronger than the Steam Deck, but with less RAM and probably a weaker CPU, actually, um, or yeah. similar. I, I mean, probably a weaker CPU because it's N2 quad core. Um, that uses less energy, though. Yeah, and but it uses DLSS. And if they give it a nine, it's yeah, uh, it's probably like 900p really really underclocked so that it has a decent battery life on the go and then if you yeah. dock it my guess is they just do like a 4k with like ultra performance mode turned on dlss in each game yeah so that it's really natively rendering at like 1080p and 4k or something yeah i think that's likely enough um just heavily leaning on on dlss upscaling to hit 4k is probably the direction they're going and honestly i think that's the main reason that nintendo would even use dlss or entertain the notion of dlss because dlss is fundamentally about getting more performance out of the hardware whereas nintendo's like you lost us on the word performance mm -hmm. <laughs> like they don't care so why would they care about dlss but if it allows them to um, basically hit the 4K target on the TVs so that they can market that a lot easier, 
um, and then they don't actually have to worry about 4K development, then I could see them doing that. That's probably why they would entertain DLSS at all to begin with. And I bet N- uh, NVIDIA would be offering to be a very tight partner of theirs to help oh, devs yeah. implement it. Because NVIDIA wants devs to have DLSS in every game. This is the point so that they don't lose this feature they have against FSR, which is for sure going to start pushing its advantage anytime it can as a major feature, especially if if it's if it does have some kind of like FSR accelerated mode in a PS5 Pro, you've seen NVIDIA looking at that and going, no, 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 we need to make sure all games also support our stuff as well. Yeah. What What do you think about the price then? So for to being honest, we're looking at something that in performance is like weaker than a PS4 Pro, but it has DLSS, so it can kind of, and a faster storage, so it can, again, how do we put this, right? Whatever the PS5 and Series X do in 4K, the Series S does in 1080p, kind of, or 1440p, and then this does in 900p, but it has DLSS. I've heard some people suggest $500, but I think that's too much. If Nintendo charges $500 for a console, I will eat a shoe on video. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I think 400 is probably the most they would go. 400 is pushing it for Nintendo, because Nintendo wants to sell a bunch of these things. Um, and that's a big selling point for the Switch is it's, you know, it's three three fifty dollars depending on the base of the OLED. It's And it's continued selling at that price for the life of the console. If they charge $500 for a Switch 2, they're basically forced to reduce the cost of the price of the console at some point to continue selling in large volume. And the funny thing is I've heard the form factors very, very, very similar, if not the same, by the way. So I'm kind of expecting that too. Um, I, I think like it's, they're going to redesign it. It's going to look different. It's going to have new features. Like it's going to look distinct to the original switch. Um, like you won't mistake it for it. Um, but I think the form factor and the semi portable, but also being able to be used as a home console is extremely successful for Nintendo, and I don't see them giving up on that right away. So, yeah, no, having the same form factor makes a ton of sense to me, um, just because of how successful the Switch was. Um, And it basically gives them a good reason to argue that they don't have to compete with uh, PlayStation and Xbox and specs, because they're targeting a completely different kind of thing, and it really helps set them apart quite firmly. So yeah, the form factor, that's good. Um, The price needs to stay low, though. Um, $300 is probably what they would go for, no higher than $400, in my opinion. Maybe $350, but I think they'd be trying to hit that $300 price point. I'm looking around, too, at the... uh... Nintendo Switch OLED right now, and I'm kind of thinking, do you think there's a chance the Switch 2 literally uses the same dock? I think they would update it. Um, yeah. It's hard to because say. Because I, I, I can see the selling point, though. If they nail the performance exactly where it needs to be, which is to say, hey, we, we skimped, we're Nintendo, but we didn't skimp it as much as before, it is just good enough that it can, it should run all AAA games easily. And if it's 350, they're like, hey, look, the graphics aren't as good as the PS5. 
but it's 350 and it's a portable Series S kind of, isn't it? And you could just sell it for the same price as a Series S. That is actually a pretty appealing selling point there. And again, you know, no, it's not 4K 120, but it's like ultra DLSS mode 4K 60-ish. Is that not yeah. good enough on your big screen TV? Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, Nintendo doesn't need to be the best. They just need something new that they can sell to people and they'll buy it if their games are good, which... I think that's all they need to do. All right. So we went through the PlayStation and the Xbox. I don't know that I have much to say about the Xbox because I think it's they just have more flexibility. The only thing I'd yeah. add yeah. about talking about an Xbox refresh is from my understanding, their their primary focus is the Series S refresh, that they want to beef that up slightly and make it more appealing because they've noticed like they they want to get game pass in everyone's house that's their main goal anyways like if we're like and so if that means they can make a smaller die that is a little less weak then they'll probably go for that is kind of what i'm hearing but um or did you have something to say about that before i moved on well i was thinking what they could do with with the die shrink they could actually bring um you know maybe not this year but like, you know, in one or two years, they could actually do an Xbox Series X at that replaces the Xbox Series S. Mm. So with with a die shrink, with um, you know, they could make a, an affordable. I mean, this happens every generation, right? Like, mm-hmm. or every every console generation. Look look at the Xbox One S. It was just an Xbox One, which is you know, equivalent equivalent to the Series X right now. It was it was that, but it was a lot they made it a lot more affordable. It was easier to cool. Um it was smaller. Like I, I would I would say if someone said that that's not going to happen with the Xbox Series X, I'd tell them that they're high on glue. <laughs> well, what I've heard actually, and though the thing is this was the plan and it may have changed by now, but the plan about six months ago, or maybe even eight, I think at this point, 10 months ago, was by the end of 2022. So remember, this was late 2021. And a little over a year, they wanted to get out a six nanometer Series S that really just used a little faster RAM, maybe a little more RAM, and clocked faster, because it's quite underclocked right now. And all they wanted to do is bump it up like 40% while keeping the same price. And then just keep selling a Series S that they have now at a lower price. Like they, they right. I actually heard they wanted to get the existing specs down to like two fifty to clear stock on them, and then have like a three hundred dollar version that was thirty forty percent better. Which I think is if you give it a little more RAM and make it thirty percent better, eh, that's all it needs. It really doesn't need to be a four K console. I think we've seen that people are the Series S will never be a four K console, but and and it doesn't have to be, but. The the Series S, um, you can actually see it occasionally on sale already for two fifty. It wouldn't surprise me if it hit two hundred even. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the sweet spot where it is like a fire sale thing. They can't keep in stock if they get a two hundred or lower. Yeah, um, and if I were Xbox, you know, I'm I might update the specs of the Series S a little bit, but um, I wouldn't want to have too many different performance targets for developers to like it's a lot easier for xbox developers on xbox to target different levels of hardware because of DirectX. 
However, they still have to validate it a lot more than they do on PC for those consoles because there's a lot of people with that set of hardware. So they can't say it's like, oh, well, you know, like someone on PC, it's like it's not running on you because you you have a weird configuration. That's kind of on you. Whereas on console, they expect everyone who, who buys a console, it's like this packaged thing. They expect to have a playable game on that. Um, and if they hit too many different hardware points, then that's just more validation that every dev has to do on every Xbox game, which could be a barrier, honestly, in the decision to releasing a game on Xbox. And they're not going to want that either. Yeah, that, so, yeah, that's why I don't think they go ham. I think they're just like, yeah. hey... And and I think it's important for people to remember that TSMC is literally pushing these companies to move to six nanometers. So if you don't think they're planning at least a slim <laughs> on yeah, six no. nanometer, they have to kind of. Yeah. TSMC's <laughs> like, it's cheaper, do it, you know. Slim versions of all of these consoles guaranteed. Absolutely. The question is, do they take the opportunity to bump the specs? The the thing with the Xbox One S is its RAM is awful. Not only is it only 10 gigabytes, but it's also so slow. But the thing is... And it's segmented. If it was a unified 160-bit, that would be nice, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's 8 plus 2 on the Series S and, and 10 plus 6 on the Series X. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing is, they can't correct that mistake. They can't release a, a Series S that's faster and be like, devs, forget about the first one, just target this one now. They still have to target that awful memory of the original Series S, because millions of people have them, and they'd be super pissed off if if those millions of people that bought those Series Ss, suddenly it's like, oh, there's new games coming out that, like, major features on those games aren't supported on these old consoles. That would be devastating for xbox's otherwise this generation very positive uh mind share mm-hmm. like xbox is doing really well with their marketing right now and they wouldn't want that blow and that would just be awful so yeah they might create another bump it up and sort of create another tier there i could see that happening um maybe i think it's more likely that that we see the xbox series x the slim version of that sort of replace the series S where the series S is right now, and then see the series S come down to maybe $200. And then Xbox has this $200 console that, you know, anyone who wants gaming is just, it's the most accessible way to get into gaming because it's so inexpensive. Right. Another thing, six months of game pass or something silly. Yeah. Like who knows? There's, Xbox could do crazy things with that, and it would be wildly successful. Um, another thing that I think, in terms of hardware, that Xbox could too, and some people might think this is crazy, but the Steam Deck is wildly successful. The Switch is wildly successful. This is proving that people want handhelds. Mm-hmm. So Nintendo would be, it would be difficult for Nintendo to make a handheld. They could do it, but it would require like, very different hardware and for the developers it be difficult to do... for PlayStation to make a Nintendo or who? So it, it would be difficult for PlayStation to make a handheld mm-hmm. because um, 
that they would have to be separate games that run. This is sort of like the PSP, PS Vita. I brought this up on the last Loose Ends. I said, in my mind, the only world where this makes sense is if they find a way to basically make a portable APU that's backwards compatible with at least base PS4 so that you at least have that catalog carrying over to the handheld PlayStation. Because otherwise, I think Nintendo's proven something that I honestly, I think we all knew deep down, which is that it was stupid that Sony was paying Ben to make Golden Abyss for Vita when they could have made a full Uncharted game for PS4 and sold way, way, way more copies. So my mind is, and I don't think this is implausible if Sony wanted to do it. My feeling is they don't want to do it, but I don't think this is an implausible idea that they just make an APU that's like a half PS5 that is backwards compatible with base PS4, but doesn't support the PS4 Pro mode necessarily. And then could you put PS5 games on it in 1080p instead of 4K? Yes, but it's going to take more than a little work. So they would have to like, it would it'd be a thing where it's up to the dev if they want to put in the effort. But let's be honest, it'd be way, way, way easier than developing for an entirely different ARM console. That that would You're right. It would be way easier. And they could go that route and it would be a lot better than just make a console and it runs nothing unless the game is made for that console like they did with the PSP and the Vita. So... So yeah, the 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 PlayStation has something that they could do to make um, a, a handheld, and yeah, there's there's options. Um, I actually do like your idea there. A half PS5, back a half PS5, to and base PS4, not base PS4 Pro or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah I agree with that. Um, and then so it doesn't run PS5 games. It can run PS5 games. It uses the same SDK dev tools, but the devs have to, yes, put in like half a year's worth of work to kind of like make sure it's not just collapsing, <laughs> running yeah. on half the computer yeah. units. But you could do it. it. Yeah, it wouldn't run PS5 games by default, but you could, the devs mm-hmm. could port games to it from PS5 based on. It could literally be as simple as like you take the PS5 build and then you tweak some things and make sure it works and then validate it. Depending like, on depending on what CPU is on it, though, to be fair mm-hmm. as well. Um, depending probably on the its, same one clocked lower. Yeah, depending on its storage, um, you, it could be done, um, and it, you could make it relatively easy to port those games over. But it would still, you know, it would require the developer to make make the decision to port it over you know i'm so i'm it's funny though to dork out about this though because if i do amd rembrandt rembrandt has 32 ropes people don't a lot of the recent amd apus have an overkill ropes to make up for less bandwidth so it's entirely conceivable that what it would be in handheld form would be some 256 bit LP DDR5 64 ROP, but half the compute units for PS4. Because that's the only way I think you could easily do both PS4 emulation and that. Because you're not going to give it 36 compute units. That's way too many. But you might actually keep the same amount of ROPs as the PS5, which Sony's shown a history of throwing ROPs at the problem before. So I'm just putting the hypotheticals out there for how silly this is. It may literally be like half PS4, half PS5. And it's that like, would be interesting. It'd be an interesting console, but th- if yeah. in my mind, that's the only PlayStation Portable that makes any sense anymore, unless it's like a PlayStation phone, because you're not developing for two different systems. That's just a waste of money. Yep, I agree entirely. 
However, Xbox has a very straightforward solution to this. Xbox already has the Series S, which is a cut-down, low-cost, very, very small design that... I mean, what's the Xbox Series S right now? 75 watts? You need like... It might be 50 watts. It's very low. Yeah. And it's like it's like an inefficient 75. Like it's you. it probably could have done more to make it more efficient. So give it a die shrink. Um, underclock it a little bit more. Um, hell, I think you could absolutely make an Xbox mobile console that runs all of the same games that the Series X mm-hmm. does. Um, and it would be probably wildly successful because, you know, the, the Steam Deck and the Switch have proven that people like mobile and mobile consoles. So they could get, you know, Game Pass. They could get everything that they like about the Xbox generation, this whole generation, just boom, portable. Every they're single there, game, yeah. they're all there. Just running. And I've heard this as a selling point for Steam games lately as well, as people see the Steam OS, Steam Deck ecosystem growing. There's new third-party handhelds coming out from uh, a couple of companies that they're weaker typically. You know, they'll use like a Vega 3 Raven Ridge 2 APU or Mendocino ones coming out, but they support Steam OS. So if you buy a game on Steam, your game runs on SteamOS devices as well. And this is becoming a selling point to buy games on Steam instead of just playing them on Game Pass, I've noticed. Interesting. So there is an argument for Microsoft to want to do this to say, no, 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 you can get our portable gaming thing too and play Game Pass games. And you could also maybe see Sony go, oh, no, 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 you can play ours on there too. It would be, I will say, it would be kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan twist if in four years all of a sudden there's like more portable gaming devices than we've ever wanted. I don't think anyone could have predicted that would happen a few years ago. And it seemed like portable gaming was almost dead. Yeah. Well, Nintendo single-handedly resurrected portable gaming. Mm -hmm. Um, Companies realized with its sales, that's like people want this. And actually before the steam deck, there was, there was companies making a lot of the companies that are making those, uh, steam OS consoles. Now we're making just Nintendo or, they were making Windows mobile consoles before that just weren't selling that well because they were over a thousand dollars. But but the Steam Deck sort of brought the competition, and people those companies started, you know, having to compete more. So those prices are coming down, and and this mobile gaming is like kind of booming now. It's crazy. Well, and you can also see this argument as well. I don't think Microsoft's interested in VR, but I don't know if you've seen a lot of my recent content has been talking to people about how Steam seems to be building the Steam OS as a Trojan horse for an x86 portable gaming VR device. Like, because a lot of that work transfers. You make a, the Steam Deck's too weak, but Little Phoenix wouldn't be probably if they use foveated rendering to just have a little box you strap to the back of your deckard your valve decker device and then you start to wonder well then can sony sell a playstation portable that you put in your pocket plug a USB-C in and have a self-contained vr device as well that's compatible with the psvr too i think it's a little pie in the sky i don't want anyone to like hear this and go that's definitely yeah. going to happen but you can kind of see this bifurcation happening as well where you see portable gaming starting to merge with the development of vr as well 
Sony is a company that cares about VR as well, too. Yeah. Um, I want to be clear, though, again, for all this stuff I've talked about, I zero whispers of any <laughs> portable PlayStation. So don't expect it probably ever. But I think it's interesting to talk about what could be possible. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I, honestly, we've been talking for, uh, I don't know what the final edit will come to. It'll probably be a little less, but we've been talking for almost three hours here. Yeah. We've gone through Lovelace, RDNA 3, Intel's products. I mean, PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before I close this out, though? No, I think I think we've covered uh, sort of the main topics. The, there was one that I kind of wanted to talk about, but that would be this whole other conversation. So we'll, I think I think we can we'll just see, let me see if we can do a <laughs> one minute version. Unless you're a hundred percent sure, what would it be? So basically, I just wanted to rant about uh, Linus's video on on the Apple Silicon. The, the the one if I can get it under one minute, basically they attributed so much to ARM. They're like everything. There's a lot mm. of good things going on with uh, Apple Silicon, but they're like, oh, but it's it's so much less or it's so much more efficient. Well, that efficiency isn't because it's ARM. It's because it's on a better node, and it's because it uses a lot of application-specific integrated circuits, ASICs. So, like, a, a lot of the comparisons that they made were um, just not valid for comparing architectures or, or saying that Apple's approach with using ARM, like, x86 is going to die. They, they made so many wild claims in that video that was just not supported by the evidence that they provided because a lot of the evidence that they provided is explained by so many other things. They just ign wildly ignored variables for the sake of pushing a narrative um, that isn't supported by reality, basically. Um, and it was just... Well, I haven't watched the video, <laughs> but what I would say is... Anyone you talk to at Apple or anyone who works with Apple, they don't call their architecture ARM. They call it Apple. And Apple sees it as its own offshoot that's going to evolve into its entire own thing. Yeah. And the only other thing I could say about the ARM versus x86 thing is, I think x86 seems to be doing fine all of a sudden yeah. efficiency. All we needed was Intel to have competition and people yeah. to get their act together. I think x86 isn't as behind ARM intrinsically as people think. That's all I can say without seeing the video. And and, and another thing that they, a, a big argument that um, Anthony in, in the Linus Tech Tips video makes is that x86 is so old and ARM is new. So x86 is full of compatibility crap because of old hardware that it's an old software that it's got to be compatible with um but arm doesn't have that except if you actually look arm is like half a decade newer mm. and also has all of the same compatibility crap in it that x86 is if so you it's like something brand new you'd use risk five yeah basically but risk five has a lot of its own issues too like um Risk Five kind of suffers a bit from um, it's expensive and difficult to scale in performance relative to x86 and ARM. 
Risk Five has sort of a design by committee issue where it's like a bunch of different types of blocks crammed together and they don't the cohesion allowing for uh streamlined designs that scale well in performance isn't really that you can scale it it's just more difficult more expensive to scale in performance so that's why we don't see any well there's other reasons, but that's one of the reasons why we don't see, you know, crazy uh, high performance um, risk five designs. Well, and, and again, what I would just say is like, did Apple go with arm because arm is intrinsically 10 times better than X86? No, it's because they don't have an X86 license one. Exactly. Uh, and number two, their best sellers are their iPads and iPhones. And so it would make sense to have an operating, a programming base that's based on your best sellers, not their laptops. That's that's the answer, you know, and yeah. that's why they went with ARM. Um, and I still think a lot of these are, can people just give Apple credit for making a good APU? Like, it's just always got to be, oh, it's yeah. because of this. Oh, it's because of that. Here's what it is. It's a giant APU on the newest node that they managed to match competition even though they haven't been doing this as long that's impressive it's not because they had a magic advantage it makes sense why they perform the way they perform they designed a decent chip but but they're not magic arm isn't magic there's reasons for these and it's not just because oh x86 and the traditional desktop form factor is going to die there's Mm -hmm. other variables that explain those differences i mean i couldn't agree more that's something i feel like i have to harp on every single apple release but um all right well i think that just about does it for the episode i think this went pretty well we've covered a broad range of topics i did i think this worked as the kind of bird's eye view let's lay of the land look before i'm pretty sure near the end of this month it's gonna be nothing but rumors and news dropping every week again um thanks for coming on and you know plug yourself again tell people where they can find you i know you have a blog yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you can find best best place to get a hold of me is on Twitter, Meyer Tech Rants. Also, I'm on Blogspot, so just you know, Blogspot.com/slash Meyer Tech Rants. Um, I've I post there every once in a while, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Hope hope to talk to you. I have a Discord too. There's a link to both my blog and my Discord or in my Twitter bio. So so drop by my Twitter. Really, that's that's how to get a hold of me. All right. And as always, I also would say what I say at the end of all of these, subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead, ring the bell button, tell your friends about us, subscribe to Broken Silicon, your podcast app of choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Speaking of Apple, that really helps us get people in who aren't just people who browse on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, support us on Patreon. If you have the extra money, that is really the the number one way to show support if you've got it but um otherwise thanks everybody for listening this podcast was brought to you by the youtube channel and website moore's law is dead moore's law is dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator tom that guy is me and i am indeed the creator editor writer and showrunner of moore's law is dead podcast videos articles and other media however i don't do this alone moore's law is dead is a team with broken silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com.
If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Journey, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Riggleman, Dr. Forbin, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg D. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Ho- Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamthem G. Spamthem, Jonathan, Lord Starscream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuris, Gregory S. Hacker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Nine Neighbors Nobody, Caillou Markelly, HeartForum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jaskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mads, Suzu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Rowe, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Danny Nugent, Stefan Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Delmain Peterson, James Anderson, Y Tree, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Thomins, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Shang, Jetson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nucoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerem Ferriera, Zabito 3, Desis, Thomas A. Teff, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginos R.E., Morpheus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Greedo Saunderson, David Eastland, Cameron, Art Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sandler, Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Windstar, Joker, James I. Radner, Corey Leonard, Sammy Malas, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Zalima, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.